Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, we're going to be joined by the voice of the Kansas Jayhawks. Brian Haney is going to stop by. We will talk to Haney about Kansas football and all the changes going on with the Kansas Athletics Department that we've seen over the last few months. And we'll look ahead to next week's Rock Chalk Round Bowl Classic that Brian Haney is hosting once again as they are bringing back some of the greatest Kansas Jayhawks of all time to raise money for kids in Kansas with pediatric cancer. So uh, we'll get the insights and all that more when Brian joins us coming up later on in today's show. Also, we'll have Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. And we'll have our Tom Fullery story of the week as well coming up at the end of the show. Thomas Bridges joins me right now. Tom, TB, how we doing, man? Oh, you know, it's uh, it's time for another weekend and uh, one more weekend closer to football season. I, I, I'm trying to think, is the first NFL preseason game in two weeks? I think it's less than that. I believe it's coming up on Thursday, the uh, Steelers and the Cowboys. It's either this week or next week. See, it's just, you know, they, you know, Christmas, they said the most wonderful time of the year. No, no, it's, it's right now. It's, it's a couple weeks from right now. You know, it's the most wonderful time of the year. We were just talking before we went on the air uh, about the fall. And as much as we're enjoying the summer of Jones, you know, we're ready for football season to get here. Uh, We're not going to have the fall of Jones though, because that would be a little odd. Um, But (laughs) Nonetheless, you can't have these weddings during football season, folks. I mean, that's like cardinal rule number one. If you schedule a wedding on a football Saturday or Sunday, you pretty much can just bank on that Thomas and I aren't going to be there. We're not showing up. Yeah, absolutely not. And, and you know, I, I DJ weddings and, you know, sometimes I enjoy it. Sometimes I, I kick myself and I'm saying, why did you do this? Why did you take this wedding to DJ? You know, most of the time, it's, it's really not worth it. I enjoy seeing whoever I, you know, I'm DJing with, getting married. Sure, lifelong happiness to you. But a lot of times, I end up having to miss out on stuff. And it's really not worth the money. Like, last year, I booked this wedding for the 4th, September the 4th. That just so happens to be the first Oklahoma State football game. I have season tickets. So that's one game I'm not going to be able to make because it's, you know, granted, it's Missouri State. But Jones, this is going to be this is going to be across the nation too, not just in Stillwater. Even though Stillwater is the best place to do it, um, tailgating is back, um, and full stadiums are going to be back, and it is just going to be a beautiful thing to see. And I know there was, like I said, no tailgating. Jones last year. This is how I tailgated last year, and I've done this before, and I'll probably end up doing it again in some way. Because I don't have a spot on campus, and probably not for a couple of years, just because you know you got to get there early, and you got to have a you know a, a setup, and I you know I can't fit all that in my Sonata, and that would be kind of weird to see a one car type deal. But that being said, <clears throat> last year this is how I tailgated. I went to Brown's Bottle Shop in uh, Stillwater, go to liquor store, got a bottle. I would go to the gas station across the street get a 32-ounce cup, fill it up halfway with, like, Coke or Dr. Pepper. Then I'd take the bottle, pour the whiskey in. I would pull into my parking spot that I get with season tickets. 
and I would sit there in the car and I would just drink and listen to the pregame or jam out to some Oklahoma State tunes and do all that because no one was on campus. They didn't have stuff set up. There weren't grills. They weren't people playing cornhole, none of it. And now this year it's going to be because if you don't have a tailgate, you just walk through, you know, you walk around campus, you know, you might know somebody or, you know, just hang out. And I am so ready for that this year, except I'll miss the first game. But anything else than that, going to Boise State, just got my tickets for Oklahoma State at Texas. Jones, I'm telling you what, don't you ever get married in the fall uh, because, you know, I don't know who Oklahoma State's going to be playing in a couple of years. Maybe they'll play in the Pac-12. And, uh, you know, if you end up getting married in the near future, I can guarantee you that I'm not going to miss Oklahoma State at USC to come to your wedding. (laughs) Oh, man. I'll I'll be in L.A. I would think that you're basically just asking to get divorced if you get married in the fall. Like, that is a recipe for disaster. I mean, there was... There was one time not too long ago when back when I was covering Kansas football and such and that a buddy of mine asked me to come to his wedding and it happened to be the same night that KU was playing Memphis. And I said, no, I, I got to work, you know, I mean, I got I got a football game to watch, you know, and he couldn't believe it that I would choose that over going to a wedding. I'm like, well, one, it's my job. Two, I mean, it's, I'm not the one that's scheduled to go to uh, have a wedding during football season. I mean, that's just cardinal rule number one. You can't do that. Uh, that stuff doesn't fly. Now, the tailgating stuff, man, I'm so ready just to tailgate and go hard because, Tom, I have not had the luxury luxury of doing a whole lot of tailgating the last years because I've been covering these games, you know, being in the stadiums. and been stuff. in the booth. Right. And now I got a football season where I'm not working these games. I can actually enjoy being a fan and such. You know, I've made all these trips to Arrowhead the last few years where I hear where I just smell every possible barbecue smell imaginable outside the stadium going to a Chiefs game. And I'm like, why can't I just stay out here? Why do I have to go work, you know? And now I finally get to experience it. it. It almost feels like a whole new world for me, what I'm about to see here this uh, football season. Yeah, it's going to be pretty wild. No, I mean, I know you work some Saturdays, um, maybe every Saturday, I forget. But, um, I mean, hell, Lincoln's not that far away, and I can guarantee you that Nebraska fans show up and show out. Um, so that would be even pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Um, to get to go there. I um, mean, I don't know. How far is Lincoln from Omaha? Like, Oh, like 25 minutes to an hour. Yeah. Oh, right. See, there you go. Uh, and you know, that's going to be a good time. I mean, they have however many sellouts in a row. I forget what it is. Maybe that record stopped. I, I guess you can't really count COVID. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I forget what that record is, but you know, that's got to be a good time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Lincoln's on the list. I'm going to do what I can try to get to Lincoln, Iowa City, and Ames. And then, of course, try to go home to uh, the Lawrence as well at some point, if I can. That's kind of the list for me this year. And then maybe a Chiefs game or two as well. And, and uh, I'm going to New Orleans Labor Day weekend and uh, going to the OU Tulane game. So that'll be uh, my agenda for football season looking ahead. But uh, that's a great way to uh, transition to a start to today's show as far as traveling goes and new experiences and such. 
it appears that Oklahoma and Texas will be the 15th and 16th members of the Southeastern Conference beginning in 2025, as on Thursday, both schools officially received invitations with unanimous 14 to nothing votes from all SEC schools to invite uh, OU and Texas into the league. And this all happened so fast, Tom. I mean, it was a week ago that this news breaks that they're working on this, that it was an idea. And what we've come to find out was that this wasn't just something that happened last week. This has been going on for at least six months. It just now happened to leak out. And it was somebody from the Texas A&M side of things that let the Houston Chronicle know that this was going on in an effort to try to stop it from happening. And it was just a little too late at that point. We, we get the news when Texas A&M, you know, their head coach Jimbo Fisher's at the podium at SEC media days that they're looking to make this move. And at that point, it was already the 11th hour. There was nothing Texas A&M could do to stop Oklahoma and Texas from entering the SEC. And what a week. I mean, you talk about Monday, Oklahoma and Texas say that they're not renewing their uh, grant of rights with the Big 12 Conference. The conference asked them to renew it past 2025 uh, to 2030. They say no. Tuesday, they both formally apply for membership. Thursday, uh, the yes votes come in. And then Friday is the expected uh, Board of Regents votes of both schools to say yes and accept those invites into the SEC. And then all the shenanigans from uh, Bob Ballsby issuing that cease and desist letter to ESPN and going after them saying that they colluded to try to make uh, the fall of the Big 12 happen and just looking absurd and ridiculous and now trying to find homes for the rest of the little 12 teams uh, that are still remaining and such. I mean, it has been a wild and bizarre week. And first and foremost, when I go back to what I said last week, the Big 12 has been such a mess, such a disaster. I love this league as far as its history goes. I had nostalgia, Tom, about the Big 12 and some of the games that we've seen over the years, you know, these classic matchups, these rivalries of not, not just OU Texas, but whether it's Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, um, you know, all, all these games that we've seen played over the years, Baylor, TCU, um, you know, Texas and Texas Tech. I mean, there's great history and tradition that we've seen, even with members leaving in and out the last few years, there's still something to enjoy about the history and, and the geography, you know, of these schools and such, you know, that, that that's worth, worth keeping. But when it all comes down to it, it's all the almighty dollar here. And when you see the way that Nebraska, Missouri, Texas A&M, Colorado left a decade ago to where the Big 12 is at now, you can't blame Oklahoma and Texas one bit for making this move. They saw the writing on the wall that this league was so unstable that Bob Bowlesby, as a commissioner, has done a terrible job of being reactionary instead of being progressive and trying to make moves to try to add teams that 
it just wasn't worth worth fighting for. It wasn't worth staying. I actually give Oklahoma and Texas credit for hanging out another decade, trying to make this work and trying to get this conference back on track. But you could see it just wasn't headed that way. And, you know, we were upset. There's no doubt about it, Tom, a decade ago when Texas A&M, Nebraska, Colorado, Missouri, you know, when, when they all left, we were upset about it and how things were handled. But this is different now. Oklahoma and Texas tried. They tried to make this work and give it a shot, but it just didn't. The Big 12 failed. Point blank, plain and simple. This conference, its leadership failed them, and there's nobody to blame but the Big 12 itself for Oklahoma and Texas leaving. And now Oklahoma and Texas leave for greener pastures. You go to the SEC that's got more money than anyone else. They're already the best conference in college football as is. Now they're only going to get even better than what they've been. They're only going to get richer than what they've been. Um, You know, does it suck to see a lot of this stuff in, a lot of great history and tradition? Yes, it does. But you know what? You got to look out for yourselves. And Oklahoma and Texas, they owed it to their fans, their alums, especially in these COVID times too. I don't think that's getting mentioned enough that these athletic departments are looking for every extra dollar they can with as much money they've lost in the last couple of years with COVID-19, they, they, they got to help themselves out. And I think that COVID kind of sped up the process a little bit that said, all right, we, we, you know, we can't leave any stone unturned here. Um, so I don't blame Oklahoma and Texas for this move. Uh, you know, I, I, I wish them the best of luck in the SEC. I hate to see the big 12 go, but, it is what it is. They're, they're doing what's best for them in their bottom line, and, and, and that's fine with me, Tom. What say you? You know, you said greener pastures. Yeah, yeah, money-wise. I, I mean, you know, I, I saw a pretty funny tweet, and we like to, you know, shit down Texas's backside as much as we can do it. Um, but someone said, well, they can't even win the Big 12. How do they think they're going to do in the SEC? Um, you know, granted more money, does Texas need more money? You know, probably not, but I don't blame them. If this is Oklahoma state making the move, I'd probably be a little psyched up and hype. Um, you know, and so it's not my team. So I'm kind of like, man, but, uh, and, and, you know, it kind of puts everybody else in a place of, well, got to find a new conference, but you know, I guess from an Oklahoma state fan point of view, uh, it's time for Oklahoma state to kind of do their own thing. Uh, and this, you know, in a way gives them a chance to do so, uh, you know, now for teams like Texas Tech, you know, what what do you do if teams like, you know, where's Baylor going to go? Where is TCU going to go after this? You know, I'm sure they'll get I'm sure everybody will get picked up in some fashion. Um, but, you know, everyone's kind of just scrambling to make a move. So this is far from over. I mean, in terms of the big 12 obviously OU Texas is done deal um and they could I'm pretty sure they could start playing in the SEC next year I don't know if it will happen next year or not right um, they but you mentioned the rivalry. they need uh the league to fall apart or pay the giant buyout fee but it's not out of the question that they could play in the SEC as early as next year right so exactly so and then and, and I can see that happening. I mean, West Virginia will most likely go to the ACC, probably where they belong, to be honest. Um, and, you know, you mentioned 
you mentioned the history in the games and all the great games and all the great storylines and all the just great things about the Big 12. And it's not only football. Uh, it's basketball, too. I mean, we were good. Big 12 is one of the best basketball leagues, and now that's going to get broken up. And, you know, who knows how that will go? I mean, you know, I, 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 it's going to be different. You know, we talk about every year, we talk about the Big 12 basketball so much. Now we're going to, it's going to be, it's going to be way different. Um, shows are going to look different because we're, you know, we are where we are at in this country, geog, you know, geographically. Um, that we we talk about the Big 12 all the time. And so now we're like, all right, Jones, well, I guess we're going to be bebopping around um, depending on where every team ends up, you know, where every school ends up. Um, and, well, you know, I feel like we could probably still talk about the same teams because, you know, okay, West Virginia is going to go to the ACC. I still like West Virginia. I'm still going to follow them. Uh, you know, the Texas teams that are not named Texas – um, they'll go. I'll follow them. I'm gonna follow wherever KU goes and Iowa yeah. State and K State. In, in you know, actuality, Tom, you know, there, there's three schools I follow closely more than others, and that I try to root for every week. Um, you know, obviously, my school where I went, the University of Kansas, and Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. You know, those are the three schools that I always, you know, my, my home schools that I always, you know, try to root for. And it actually, if they're in three separate leagues, it actually kind of makes things easier um, <laughs> to, when they're not playing each other in the sense. So, um, you know, yes, you, you, you hate to see that, you know, this happen. Um, but in another sense, this is kind of opportunity for those schools. Let's start out with Oklahoma State here. You know, Oklahoma State, I think, has a very unique opportunity in not being in the same conference as Oklahoma. The one knock on Mike Gundy, his entire coaching career, has been not being able to beat OU. And now you get out of Oklahoma's shadow for a bit. If you go to the Pac-12, for example, there's no reason why Oklahoma State can't compete in the Pac-12 with those Pac-12 schools. Where the Pac-12 is at right now, Oklahoma State could contend for the Pac-12 championship every single year and go toe-to-toe with USC and Oregon and, and Utah and those schools. They, they could do that. And we could see Oklahoma State in the playoff, this 12-team playoff regularly with uh, this Pac-12 as it stands right now. They have a chance to establish their own identity, their own brand that's different from Oklahoma, that gets out of little brother's shadow and go from there. And in Oklahoma State's case, as far as establishing your identity goes, um, there's no reason for them to play Oklahoma going forward either. Um, you know, I, I said just a few moments ago, I don't blame Oklahoma and Texas for this move, but I do think that Oklahoma State has a right to be upset. The fact that this went on with, without them, that they're not taking Oklahoma State with them, that they did not keep Oklahoma State in communication. I'm not saying it's wrong what they did, but Oklahoma State has a reason to be upset. And when you've lost to Oklahoma how many times every year, you know, for how many years, and, you know, Bedlam just isn't fun anymore for Oklahoma State fans after all those losses that they've suffered and such, you know, wh why are you going to waste a non-conference game on a loss, essentially, every single year? Mike Gundy and company have done a good job of scheduling these power five games against teams that are beatable. 
like Oregon State, uh, Arizona State, some of these others. And so in Oklahoma State's case, uh, you got great facilities. Um, you got a head coach that's a proven winner. Go build your own thing, establish your own identity, and this actually could work out better for you of not being in the same league and playing Oklahoma every year. Um, that's where I look at with Oklahoma State that I don't know if the Big Ten is very likely with OSU not being an AAU member. Um, the ACC, you know, there's already 14 teams there, but the Pac-12 seems like the most likely destination, and, and I think that's a golden opportunity for Oklahoma State too. You look at the Pac-12, if the Pac-12 is going to take OSU or any other Big 12 team, now you open up the central time zone and you're going to have game windows all day long that you didn't have before as a Pac-12. You could have games at you know 11 a.m. central time, 2.30, 7 o'clock, and then 10 o'clock. It'd be the only conference that's on literally all day long. Um, this is a chance. This is a chance for Oklahoma State. This is a chance for the Pac-12. Um, I think you would like to be in the Big Ten, but realistically, I think the Pac-12 is probably the most likely landing spot for Oklahoma State here, Tom. Yeah, I think, I think you're right, and I think it's the, you know, overall the best, uh, you know, chance to get, you know, the, to even win more. You, you mentioned, you know, I think you hit the nail, uh, the, the nail on the head here, uh, talking about Oklahoma State being able to build their own brand because they were just in the shadow of OU and Texas for so long that they didn't, you know, they, they, they made statements. They had statement games and statement wins, and, you know, they, they tried to a certain extent. But it never it, it was never going they were never going to overcome Texas or OU. It just I mean, Texas could have ten losing seasons in a row and they would still be Texas would still overshadow Oklahoma State. That's just what it is. It's all that's that's how it is. Um and so for Oklahoma State, you have a chance to one, go to a league that you have every right to you know, be able to win that league every year, realistically. Uh, I mean, you know, USC is not the team they once were. Stanford sure is good. Washington puts a good product on the field. And obviously Oregon is, is, is you know, pretty stout as well. But those aren't, you know, I, I'm taking OU in every single game against any Pac-12 school on any date, on any field, at any time. Um, that's just what it is. And I'm not saying Oklahoma State as as good as OU, but they're not, you know, they can they can outright win the Pac-12. Uh, I mean, I would even say Iowa State would be able to do it. And I would even say Texas on a good year could win the Pac-12, no problem. Um, so maybe I'm trashing a league that I'm not even in yet. I mean, I say I, but Oklahoma State, um, but you know, for the Pac-12, you mentioned too. This is a bonus for them. They don't. I mean, they could even pick up other Big 12 schools. And you said, you know, have have a game slated at each, in, you know, game interval all day. It doesn't have to be the Pac-12 after dark anymore. It, you know, granted, I'm sure some of the games, if they make it to the Pac-12, will be. And you know, I'll be up at 1 a.m. drunk off my ass, rooting on OSU. Uh, you know, wouldn't. The only thing that changes there is the time of the day. Um, but at, at that point, Pac-12 should do it. For one, if you pick up Oklahoma State, 
you get your Oklahoma recruiting trail. Sure, it's not crazy, but a lot of Oklahoma State uh, players that come from North Texas. And if you pick up a team like Baylor or a team like TCU or a team like Tech even, uh, there you go. There's your Texas recruiting trail. You know, you, you get it bigger, a portal opens for them to, to you know, establish a, a wide range across the whole Western United States and even into, you know, even into the Midwest. So um, I think it works for both parties. Sure, I would like to play in the Big Ten and, and, you know, be able to go to the, you know, OSU versus OSU at the Horseshoe. That would be awesome. I you bet your ass I'd make that trip. I'd be going to the big house every other year to watch Oklahoma State versus Michigan. Hundred percent. That would be great. Uh, it would be cold, but it would be awesome. Uh, and I would have I would check off a lot of stadiums. But Jones, I'll tell you what. We talk about getting married during football season, and we talked about this before the show too. Just to circle back just for a second. Listen, I might skip an Oklahoma State game if they're playing Missouri State and it's your wedding I might say you know what or if they're playing a team like UTSA whatever okay I'll skip a game if you're that close of a friend I'll tell you what game I'm not going to skip every other year if they're in the Pac-12 Jones I will be at the Coliseum watching Oklahoma State versus USC and you know what even be better in the fall too going to Eugene Um, so there you go. We go to the Pac-12. I'm, I'm being Malibu, West Coast Highway. I'm, I'm going all out. I'm going to the West Coast. Now, before um, you get too excited about going to the West Coast, let's, uh, let's reel this back in for a second. In, you know, the remaining teams, the, the, the little 12 that's left of the Big 12, um, you know, I think one of the things that folks made a mistake about was just a, a week or two ago – was assuming that everything was going to be okay and that this all was just going to hold up together and OU and Texas were just going to be okay and stick around and such. And obviously that wasn't the case. And logically, we think, okay, Oklahoma State, the Pac-12, that makes sense with probably about four other Pac-12 schools. Kansas and Iowa State to the Big Ten, both AAU institutions. They're in the Midwest. They have some friends in those leagues in Nebraska and Iowa. That makes sense. West Virginia to the ACC. That makes sense. All of that, I get that. But we have to step, take a step further and think big picture and remind ourselves, remember, this is not a geography lesson. This is a dog-eat-dog business. This is big-time college football. This is, you know, basically the minor leagues of the NFL here. And who's to say the Big Ten is not going to go after some Pac-12 schools? We're already hearing those discussions of bringing in USC and Oregon and Washington, potentially Stanford, whatever. And then you're talking about the collapse of the Pac-12, potentially. Maybe you just have two super conferences in the Big Ten and the SEC, what if the SEC then counters and says, fine, we're going to bring, bring in Clemson and Florida State or something like that? I think that, yes, we have this idea, you know, that, that we've gone with, with the concept of college football, of so much about geography over the years and such. But th- in actuality, that's 1990s thinking. 
Um, we can travel easier than we ever have before in this day and age of 2021. And what may sound right, what may make sense might not be reality. I, I think that Oklahoma and Texas going to the SEC is just the first domino to fall. There will be some other big moves. Um, the Big Ten uh, will do something. I think I want to roll out the ACC, you know, reeling in Notre Dame. Um, you, you look at, too, you know, this new playoff format, one of the architects of it is the uh, athletic director of Notre Dame, and they wrote in the new playoff that says if you don't win your conference, you cannot have a bye week in the college football playoff. And wait, 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 wait. So you're saying that the Notre Dame athletic director was working against his own university's best interests when they're an independent. He intentionally put that where no matter what, it's always going to be tougher for Notre Dame to make the playoff. That doesn't really make sense. To me, that says there's actually good signs that Notre Dame joins the ACC and joins the conference here. I think that there's still a lot to figure out here. Nothing is guaranteed. It sounds nice for Oklahoma State to go to the Pac-12, Kansas, Iowa State to go to the, the Big Ten, and you know some of these other moves and such, but we're a long ways from being over. This is just getting started. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and you know, I'd like to get – I'd like to daydream and think of me at the Coliseum and – not only that, maybe even making a Rams game. That gives me a reason to go to L.A. Uh, just watch the – I could watch – I could watch Oklahoma State versus, you know, UCLA. Um, and then I could turn around and go watch, you know, Rams versus whoever. Uh, that would be a – that could be an every-year trip, depending on how the schedule goes. I love to daydream about that, but you're absolutely right on big business and, and money talks, bullshit walks. I mean – there's going to be some changes, and I, I do agree that this could be the first domino to fall in Texas and OU. It could it's if it hasn't already changed the entire landscape of college football, it will eventually. I mean, so many changes. Obviously, you got the NIL, and now this. Uh, I mean, this is going to completely change if it has. Like I said, if it has not already, how we view college football. Uh, it's it's. There's a very good chance to get very chaotic very quickly. Even if you wanted to already call this unorganized chaos, you could even call it maybe a better term, would be very much has the potential to be unorganized chaos very quickly. Teams scrambling to get it's, – it's a – Jones, it's an arms race. That's it. That's what it is. It it's is. an arms race. And, you know, I, I think that we all have this idea in mind that, okay, we're, we're getting up towards four 16-team super conferences. But, you know, what's to say that the Big Ten and the SEC don't just keep on pulling everybody in and turn this into two super conferences? I think that's a possibility at this point. I think at, – at, at that time, do you have to change the conference name? I mean – if the Big Ten pulls in, you know, more teams, I mean, it'd be like the joke of, ah, oh, we call it the Big 12, but there's only 10. Well, okay, no, the Big Ten. The Big Ten is called the Big Ten. It's a name. It's a brand. Um, you know, it, it, 
it doesn't really matter to me what you call uh, the Big Ten because it's such an established history. I think it's better to have more teams in your in your league than your actual number as opposed to uh, less teams in your league than what your actual number is. I, I don't really care about the names uh, as far as that goes. But um, with that being said, you know, as far as the the Big 12 getting in its own way, you know, this whole reactionary thing. Think about, you know, you go back to several years ago when Kansas State beat Oklahoma on their own turf and uh, despite having the same record, they named them co-conference champions. And, you know, with, uh, with that being said, the, the Big 12 institutes this one true champion campaign and then the next year, the very same thing happens. Baylor and TCU have the same record. Baylor beats TCU on their own turf. But they say, uh, well, looks like we have two one true champions. This league couldn't even get their, their slogan right when they tried to do that. Um, you know, they add in a conference championship game when they have a round-robin schedule, which, you know, doesn't really seem necessary, but they couldn't pass on the dollars and cents. Another reactionary move. The Big 12, uh, there's no one to blame but the Big 12 themselves for the collapse of this league. And Bob Bowlesby is responsible for killing this league. Um, you know, last year, Bowlesby did a great job in helping save college football, of just having a college football season. And while he was trying to save college football, his league was falling, falling apart and he didn't even know it. Uh, they were blindsided by what Oklahoma and Texas did. And now look at Oklahoma and Texas and the SEC. You, you mentioned competition earlier, Tom. Texas, you know, has its own problems no matter what league that they're in. And I'm not sold on Sark being the guy to take them to the promised land by any means. I mean, Sark's a decent coach, but um, I don't know how good he's going to be at Texas. They're going to have those same problems competition-wise that they had in the Big 12 will, will come with them to the SEC. It's Oklahoma to me that's interesting in all this, seeing that, you know, here's a team that's winning the league every year, that's making the playoff, you know, three out of four years and such. But when it comes to playoff time, Oklahoma's not ready for the college football playoff. They haven't been through that gauntlet of the schedule that these SEC teams have been through. And their defenses have not been prepared for these playoff games and such. And although we're probably going to see Oklahoma not winning as many conference championship games and probably taking more L's than they've done before, I think what you're going to see now out of Oklahoma and probably eventually with Texas when they find the right head coach, whether it's Sark or someone else in the future, Texas will be good again. Might be a decade, might be two years. I don't know when that is. But nonetheless, um, what you're going to see, I think, to Oklahoma and Texas's benefit is – that they are going to be more prepared for these playoff games. That when that day comes, when they do make the playoff, yes, the the road, the gauntlet, the schedule will be tougher. Um, but it will be re more rewarding in the end because of what they went through that path to be more prepared for the playoff. I think in the long run, this is going to pay off for Oklahoma and Texas. They'll take their lumps along the way. But competitive-wise, uh, this is certainly, I, I think, worth it for, for OU and Texas. It will make them better. Uh, that iron sharpen iron mentality. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Um, as a fan, I hope it doesn't make Texas any better. I hope it makes them worse. 
that's just me being bitter. Um, but yeah, you're probably right. Um, I mean, not only that, I mean, if Texas recruiting couldn't get any better, it probably just got a lot better. And that's pretty much one of the reasons why AM was like, nope, 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 don't let them in, don't let them in. I am still, I mean, we haven't even mentioned this. They set a unanimous vote. I thought AM would pull an AM and just knowingly know that they were going to get in anyway and just vote no just as a, a big middle finger to Texas. They didn't, and I'm a little shocked. Oh, man. Uh, I would have. I would have. The, uh, the social media manager for Texas deserves a raise, uh, by the way, Tom. I don't know if you saw it, but the other day they did a throwback Thursday, and they just happened to Vince choose. Was Young again? No, they happened to choose when, uh, when uh, Justin Tucker, now of the Ravens, kicked that game winner on Thanksgiving in the very last game against Texas A&M and Kyle Field. They just happened to choose that for their throwback Thursday. Yeah, I mean, yeah, see, I don't know why A&M didn't shoot back and just vote no just as a middle finger. I would have done it anyway, and, you know, they're going to play again in that first game. If Oklahoma State has a bye week and that game is in Austin instead of College Station because that's – College Station is just too far of a drive, and I'm not making that drive again. Um, but if that game's in Austin, Oklahoma State has a bye week, I might be in Daryl K. Royal for that because I know that is going to be a hostile game. You know, I got a book idea, and I probably can't pull this off, but I would love to document the first couple of years of road trips for Oklahoma and Texas fans ahead. Um, I think Oklahoma and Texas already blend into the culture of the SEC, but to see these what, all assholes Texas fans, yeah, <laughs> to see OU <laughs> and Texas fans make their first trips to Tiger Stadium, you know, I want to go to the oh, Grove at Ole Miss and see what that's all about. The uh, Rednecks versus the Cajuns. Go to the Nashville when uh, you play Vandy. I mean, that's all Vandy brings to the table now is uh, you get everybody gets a road trip to Nashville and you get the academics. Uh, you get bad football, but everything else works itself out, balances thing, things out for Vandy. Um, these road trips, you know, going to Alabama, all these other places, and, and then even, uh, <clears throat> sure, you're not playing Big 12 teams anymore, but, you know, Arkansas will be a fun trip. Missouri again, um, who you have history with. We mentioned A&M of sorts. I think that's going to be quite the treat to see um, that, especially with this 16-team system, every team in the SEC is going to be coming to Norman and Austin within four years of those two teams being in the league. Um, I would love to document all that and just see what that experience is going to be like to see OU and Texas a part of that SEC culture. It's going to be fascinating to watch, and they're going to blend right in. Yeah, oh yeah, I think so. I, I would, I would like to see OU at LSU. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, does it is Texas playing LSU in Baton Rouge this year? Um, I, I do not think so. Uh, I'm trying to think. Don't they, don't they owe LSU a home game? Uh, yes, it was supposed to be last year, but you know, COVID canceled. That. Right. All right. Well, that is unfortunate. But but, I mean, we'll get that. Play, Texas does play at Arkansas this year. Oh, that's right. That's that one. Okay. Yeah, that'll be a fun game too. But uh, yeah, can you 
here's here's what will be really cool to see. As much as I hate OU, um, the OU fans traveling down to Baton Rouge, I can tell you what, that might be some of the best food tailgating-wise between the two fan bases ever made. OU bring the good barbecue. I mean, you know, you're don't a KC the, guy. Don't bring the boomer cue though. That Billy Sims barbecue. Yeah, terrible. no, that's yeah, that's just terrible. They he should he should get his he should get all of his awards taken away. Uh, that's the worst barbecue I've ever had in my life. Um, <laughs> it's it's terrible. But I will say, oh, you know, Oklahoma doesn't get enough credit here. And I'm not talking about Oklahoma as an OU. I'm talking about the entire state. The uh, the amount of good barbecue that is in Oklahoma, I think rivals that of you know kansas city or st louis uh or carolina or you know even texas um we don't oklahoma doesn't really have its own you know signature thing i mean they say the state foods chicken fried state i call bullshit it's pulled pork 100 percent um but yeah the food between you know if oklahoma's bringing the good barbecue and baton rouge obviously got the gumbo on deck uh it's gonna i would go for the food yeah that uh that gets me hungry right now what you know we uh is bo on today he is he is okay so i'll have to listen later but um i'm sure i i can't wait to hear what bo has to say on this We'll get to Bo coming up uh, later on after we hear from uh, the voice of the Jayhawks, uh, Brian Haney, uh, coming up in just a little bit from right now. But one more thing on this before we move on and bring in Brian Haney. As far as the the future of the league goes, and I know that we're kind of bouncing around all this, but one thing that was talked about with that cease and desist letter that Bowlesby and the Big 12 sent to ESPN was that – uh, one other league, not the SEC, was uh, tampering with a Big 12 institution. And it later came out, according to media reports, that it was the American Athletic Conference and that they were potentially reaching out to about three to five teams, maybe even all eight, and talking about a merger of the American and the Big 12. And you know, hearing from the American, this is not a power conference. Um, trying to go after the Big 12, I thought was hysterical to even think about that the American uh, is trying to make this move. You know, the, the little, you want to talk like little brother. I mean, they are little brother when it comes to these conferences and such. Uh, I mean, they shot, they shot their shot. Right. They're trying to go for it and such. I, I don't blame them for at least trying. But, you know, if, if I were to look at this, you know, the, the worst case scenario is for the big 12 to try to remain with these eight teams as is, as a conference, that would be a horrible idea that shouldn't happen. Um, but the next worst case scenario, I guess that's not as bad, but what I would look at that would probably be better than, you know, let's say, you know, K state trying to go to the, you know, in and up in the mountain West or Texas tech in and up in the AAC or whatever, um, if these eight teams can't find power conference homes for whatever reason, if, if the big 10 says, yeah, we're expanding, but we're taking back 12 schools. We're not interested in, you know, these remainders of the little, little 12, whatever. 
um, for whatever reason, if that's the case, if they can't find homes, then I think I would be open if I'm the remaining eight teams to say, okay, maybe we merge with the AAC and have a 20 team conference and go from there. But um, that would be the only way I would look at that. I don't want to see individual members try to in, end up in the mountain West and the American. I would absolutely hate that for those schools. Uh, but a merger wouldn't be the end of the world if it had to be. I mean, there are worse options uh, than, uh, than a merger if that's what it came down to. I'll tell you what, the AAC has, you know, granted it's not Power 5, has way better leadership than Bob Bowlesby. I yeah. can tell you that much. Uh, and you know what? I, it, I appreciate the AAC taking their shot, really, if they were going to do it. And, and we'll figure it out sooner or later what's going to happen. But really, the way it should have been done or the way it still might be done is that the Big 12 will end up poaching some of the AAC, sorry, the AAC schools. You know, that's where I could see that happening. Um, but, you know, but for them to try to do that or, you know, or a merger, but for them to just try to, you know, po you know, they are last. It's, it works like loyalty points, you know, you know, if you some other buddy, you know, some other person's more, I don't know. I, I think of this way in the way I think of posse points for Oklahoma State. The more money you spend, the better they are to you. Um, and these schools are going to go try the Pac-12 or the Big Ten or the, AAC, or the ACC before they even look at the AAC to even go there. Right. The, the remaining teams of that little 12 uh, that's left, um, I think that – I feel okay about the future of about seven of them. The, the team that should be very concerned right now, as far as finding a home goes, is TCU and all this. TCU, um, now it's been a great run this past decade for them. The tremendous strides that they've taken as a university, their athletic department to really build things up with, you know, getting a new basketball arena, renovating their football stadium. Um, the big time games that they've won. They won a big 12 football championship. They've had a lot of success at TCU and it's been a very successful tenure in the big 12 conference, but you are a religious institution. So that hurts your chances with the PAC 12 as does Baylor. Baylor just won a football, won a basketball national title though. So uh, I feel less concerned about Baylor than I do TCU. Baylor's a bigger school than TCU too. Um, but with all that being said, the team that should be most concerned is TCU. If I had to guess right now, I would say that TCU doesn't end up in a power conference. I think when all said and done, uh, the team that will be left out will be the TCU Horn Frogs. And um, historically speaking, TCU actually, after they left the Southwest Conference, that's kind of been their history as being the odd man left out. You know, they were in the WAC for a bit. They were in Conference USA for a bit. Uh, they went to the Mountain West for a while. Then they were going to go to the Big East. They backed out of the Big East to go to the Big 12. This kind of just continues the cycle. That's been the story of TCU. And you had a good run the Big 12. Your facilities are a lot better now than what you've been. You'd hate to be left out, but I still think TCU is much better off than they were at this time 10 years ago. Yeah, oh, I mean, by far and away, they're a lot better than they were. Uh, I mean, when, you know, even in the beginning when, you know, the old 
goat Andy Dalton was quarterback. You know, they're they're even now in a lot better spot than they were then. Uh, I mean, they're they're more of a nationally recognized program. I mean, it's like before they were, you know, less than Boise State is now. Uh, and now you could even say that they have a, a, arguably a, maybe not talked about as as like Boise State is, but a higher pedigree than Boise State. I mean, Boise State hasn't won uh, or technically been a co-champion of a Power Five league. TCU walked right in. Uh, you know, I know Gary Patterson's been kind of somewhat on the hot seat uh, the past couple of years. Um, there's a lot of been a lot of people to say, oh, maybe it's time for him to go. Are they built, built the man a statue for one? He's not even close to being dead, um, which is amazing. But, you know, he's done a whole lot for that program and, and it would suck to see them have to go back to the G5. But, um, you know, that that might end up happening. Um, but I, it's been a run and I, I don't with the college football landscape, even if they do kind of regress in terms of conference, uh, I don't think before long, it'll, it, it, the whole thing's going to get shaken up to where it's not even going to matter. And it's, it's going to look completely different uh, than what it is now. And I would be shocked if they stayed, you know, relegated to a, a, a lesser league yeah. or conference. Yeah. So We'll have more on this. Uh, Coach Bo is going to join us coming up uh, later on. Also got our Tom Foley story of the week as well. But coming up next, the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, is set to join us as the Rock Chuck Ramble Classic is coming up in just a few days. Also going to talk some Kansas football with Brian Haney as well as he joins us coming up on the other side. Stay with us here on the Jones Report. Join us now on the Jones Report this week. It is the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, also the director of the Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic, which is coming up next week in Lawrence, and he joins us right now. Brian, always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend, as uh, we embark on 10 years of doing this show. You've been a big part of it for the uh, last several years, man. Always glad to talk to you and catch up, my friend. What's going on? Hey, thanks for having me on, Tyler. It's great to be with you. Certainly fired up about the Round Ball Classic on August the 5th, but also excited about the Lance Leipold era kicking off at Kansas football. We've been making some tours across the state with Coach, meeting with various fan bases, and he is just such an impressive guy. And we'll talk more about him later, I'm sure. But uh, a lot to look forward to right now as we get set for the 2021-2022 academic year. And with Travis Goff's leadership atop the athletic department, a new football coach, and a basketball team that could be ranked as high as number two or number one in the preseason, certainly it's a great time to be a Jayhawk. So tell me about just how this summer has been. There's been so much that's gone on. We know uh, about the stuff going on with the Big 12 and all that, but even way before that, it's been eventful. Tell me just from your perspective, uh, what you've seen from your vantage point of uh, these, these last you know, just couple of months. You know, it was a tumultuous month of March when you had everything go down with Les Miles and, and Jeff Long, obviously. And a lot of Jayhawk fans, you know, to have those happen in back-to-back -back fashion like they did, it was tumultuous. They didn't know what to expect. And yet, honestly, when you see the decisions that were made by Chancellor Gerard and the search committee in hiring Travis Goff and then Travis's decision and his search committee in hiring Lance Leipold, we come through those really rocky waters uh, into a time now that I think, you know, is poised to be one of the great eras of Kansas sports with the leadership we have in place. Travis, in so many ways, has, has just stepped in and, and united the entire department and won over so many people with an approach that is, 
hey, I've got a vision, but I want you to be a part of a collective vision. Let me, you know, get you guys on board with me and, and get your ideas and your input on what you want to see Kansas athletics become. He knows what makes this place great. He obviously is a 2002 graduate. He's from Dodge City, Kansas. You know, he's been around KU prior to this role, working in the athletic department after his graduation. But he also, at 41 years of age, knows that there's a lot of people that have been here 30 years that have valuable things they can contribute to him as well. And so I think he had the perfect, very humble leadership approach to come in and, and ask for the input of others, while also still having a, a great amount of input himself and, and a great amount of insight, having just spent uh, you know so many valuable years at Northwestern in the Big Ten Conference, which obviously, you know, his relationships in the ACC and the Big Ten and all that are, are certainly being talked about a lot of late as, as the, uh, you know, the conference conversations are being had. But no matter what happens with the Big 12 conference, uh, you know, some might view having an AD who's just in his third month on the job, stepping into that uh, a challenging situation. And certainly it is, but I like the guy we got. I, I think he's savvy. I think he is calculated. And I think he's the type of person that gets input from others and will make the best decision for Kansas, the most informed decision, listening to the donors, prioritizing those relationships, listening to his mentors and peers across the collegiate athletics landscape. And so I really think we got the perfect guy to take us through what we're going through right now. I just feel for Travis that, you know, his first three or four weeks on the job, we're all about finding a football coach. And, and now he's moving his family down from Chicago and you'd like to settle into a groove and get set for the season. And then all of a sudden, boom, Oklahoma and Texas are on the way out the door and all these other conversations start being had. But I will, I will say this as a guy that's been a part of Kansas athletics for a long time, um, I'm as excited about the collective leadership and just the vibe in the building. I think everybody has an extra skip in their step. They're reunited, motivated, rejuvenated in ways that I've not seen, you know, going back quite a ways, you know, and, and I think there's, there's a real buzz there uh, for people working in the building about what this can become and what we can grow it into collectively. That uh, is a pretty special synergy. So we're excited about that, bud. Yeah, certainly reason to be excited, Brian. And, you know, from, from an outside perspective, you know, I'm not in Lawrence anymore, but uh, from seeing from my point of view, uh, it seems like that there is a renewed focus on uh, the Jayhawk family, in a sense, you know, whether it's Travis being a KU guy or, you know, even when they, they put in the search committee, you have people like Linda Sims involved and, you know, some of these others and such. I mean, is that kind of the vibe you're getting to is just the, like a renewed focus on, on the family, you know, keeping it in, in the blood, I guess, of sorts of, of, of people that know what KU is all about and such. I certainly feel that emphasis. And, you know, you never want to be so close-minded to think you can only do it with Jayhawks. You want to be able to bring folks in that aren't necessarily from here because they have different ideas on, on ways to get things done and that can be even more effective. But at the same time, you want to surround yourself and place an emphasis on people that know the history, what has worked, uh, what will continue to work, that, that prioritize relationships with the people that built Kansas athletics into what it is today, which is through our K club and our alumni organizations. And, and I do think there is a special emphasis there. I do think there's a rejuvenated excitement amongst those that have been here before that now feel even more valued and prioritized going forward. So yeah, I, I think those are all good things. And that's, that's definitely a, a very uh, palpable feel in, in walking up and down the hallways, but more than anything, 
Uh, and I recognize right now with the pandemic, with you know numbers going back up, that we're not quite as close to normalcy as we'd like to be. But um, even though we're, we're masking up indoors now again, I, I think there's just that excitement to have new leadership, a new season, hopefully more fans than last season. We'll see what the fall brings, obviously. But just kind of breaking through what was a, a really tough year and a half with the pandemic and then what went down with the leadership changes and all of that. There is so much in our illustrious history to be proud of and so many reasons to have hope for what the future looks like. But there's, there's just a readiness, I think, to get to that future and carve out whatever the new era is going to look and feel like. Because when you had the pandemic on top of what happened back in March, I think a lot of folks around here are ready to turn over a new leaf and, and see what that next chapter starts to unfold like. Yeah. Uh, before we get to the round ball classic, I, I want to ask you, Brian, uh, you, you mentioned with COVID and such and how it impacted everybody one way or the other. In, in your role, I mean, you were calling games remotely or, you know, just, just trying to make things work. I mean, whether it, you're high atop the, uh, the arena or you're trying to put a mask on, calling a game, whatever. I mean, tell me about what last year was like and how are things going to be this year from what you know as far as uh, – that goes of, of, of still covering Colin games, you know, during what is a pandemic. I mean, this isn't technically over yet. I wish I had an answer for you on this year. I think two months ago, we probably assumed everything would be completely back to normal. And then the way things are trending with the variant, they might not be completely back to normal. But for us a year ago, there was a lot of adjusting and, and adapting uh, first with, you know, not traveling with the team like we always would. Uh, and, and not being able to have the access face-to-face -to, -face to do interviews that we've always had. We adjusted to that, and then about a month into the basketball season, we're told that, hey, we're probably not going to travel you unless it's a drivable distance less than five hours, so everything's going to have to be called off a monitor on these road games, and that's obviously something that a lot of schools did. Uh, and there was great technology eventually that allowed that to be, uh, I wouldn't say pretty seamless, but I'd say – allowed that to be arable in a way that most wouldn't know. But I remember, you know, the first game we ever did remotely, uh, you know, before we had some of the, the technology now that, you know, gives you a hardwired connection and a feed through LTN that's, uh, you know, is pretty solid and reliable. We were on a Zoom feed from Texas Tech and their camera crew was sending it to us, but we're on Wi-Fi connection, calling a basketball game from the press box at a football stadium. And the Wi-Fi connection on, on my, you know, little 15, 12-inch laptop screen kept getting fuzzy and blurry and cutting in and out. And I'll never forget the uh, first time we ever had this happen. It probably had happened six or seven times over the course of the year where the connection just goes black on you in the middle of a play. But it couldn't have happened at a worse time. Marcus Garrett squared up for a three-point shot. And I dial up the, he takes a three, hoping to be able to say, he makes a three. But when he goes to shoot it, he takes a three. Whoosh, the screen goes black. Oh, no. And it's black for seven seconds, Tyler. And, and I'm sitting there waiting. And as you know, as a play-by-play -play guy, there's nothing more anxious than, you know, having dead air. When you're the eyes and ears of your audience, you have to be the one describing what's going on. And so after about four seconds of dead air, I'm like, well, folks, honestly, I don't know if it went in or not. And uh, the ESPN feed was on an eight or ten second delay. So I waited, I waited, I waited. I said, oh, it looks like it went in. So uh, we're now down by one. <laughs> and so that happened several times over the course of the year. But as we got deeper into the, the basketball season, technology at our fingertips got a little bit better. And our engineer, Steve Kincaid, did a fabulous job 
in, in making things work. I remember the feed from Morgantown, West Virginia, uh, even with LTN, cut out, and we didn't have a connection until literally one minute before tip-off. Now imagine how much anxiety is, is, is running through that booth back in Lawrence calling a game at a football stadium and you don't have visuals until literally 60 seconds before tip-off. So it was a little dicey, but we got through it. Um, and I, I want to thank everybody at Learfield and our leadership that helped us you know, to make it as smooth as it could be. But as you well know, having done this for as long as you have, there's nothing like being in the venue. Right. If you're really going to tell the story, not only of the live action, but what's going on on the sidelines with the coaches, with the trainers, what's going on just by being around them for pregame interviews and the insights and, and analysis you're able to gather and garner from that, uh, we're ready to be back. And hopefully we will be back in closer to a normalcy type mode. But I don't know that it'll be completely the same for a while. So we'll just have to see what the fall brings. But it was definitely a challenge, unlike any I've had before. And we adjusted like most did, but we're ready to get back in the booth at the venue going yeah, forward. No doubt. I mean, you guys did an incredible job uh, with the circumstances, and uh, I'm sure that you'll have another great year ahead, uh, which will be here sooner than we know it uh, on that front. Brian, uh, the Rock Shot Ground Ball Classic, you guys didn't get to have it last year. Uh, you did a, a three-point shooting contest, and this event is so special for so many reasons. Uh, for, for folks that don't know about the Round Ball Classic, kind of give the uh, – the 411 about the, the Round Ball Classic and, and uh, how you guys started this, where it's at now. Well, I appreciate the platform to talk about it, Tom. And thank you so much. This has been a passion project for me for 13 years now. And through it, I've met some of the most remarkable people in my life that now serve on the board or on the regular list of volunteers each and every year. It's just steadily grown from uh, its, its infancy back in 2009. It all started with a, a local youth pastor that was battling cancer and his father-in-law came to me and said you've got a lot of connections can you do some kind of telethon or radio-a-thon to, to raise money for my my, my uh, son-in-law and I said well I don't know if that's the fit but maybe there's something we can do and I had just read a book called Roaring Lambs which uh, talks about how sometimes God elevates people to positions of influence within the secular realm for a reason and they can do as much good or have as big an impact on the lives of others working outside of the ministry. And, and I was going through a time in my life about 27 years old or so where I was, I was trying to decide, well, what's my legacy going to be? What's, what's something that I'm really doing to impact others right now? And the answer was, I didn't have much going. And, and so this timing of being approached by this, this uh, local gentleman wanting to do something for his son-in-law couldn't have come at a better time for me. And it forced me to evaluate, okay, what are my resources? What are my gifts? Where are my passions? lying and how do I put all these together into something meaningful and impactful to help others and, and I realized as a, a local sports director there at KLWN in Lawrence at the time that I had a Rolodex chock full of athletes names and numbers and thought uh, I know a few people in event planning and that kind of thing what, what if we try to pull off a live celebrity all-star game and, and the first game obviously came from humble beginnings we, we sold five dollar tickets one dollar hot dogs I think we had 16 total celebrities there uh you know eight on each side probably had 900 people in the stands it wasn't much to shake a stick at but we raised some big bucks for that family and uh, even though Brandon White who was our first beneficiary went home to be with the Lord uh at the end of a long fight with cancer uh it was it was such a great gathering of of Jayhawk talent in the name of something bigger than themselves that we decided we got to keep this going. And, and I saw within the hearts of those Jayhawks that came back, 
some of which who hadn't played basketball in 20 years, they're like, wait a minute, people still care about seeing me play. And, and they were excited about that. They're like, wait a minute, you know, I can actually benefit somebody else through do, doing something like this. Absolutely. And, and that's an infectious, contagious, exciting feeling when you realize, hey, I, I still have something to give. And, and these players, to be truly honest with you, they like being back in the limelight for some of these guys that haven't played in 20 or 25 years. And suddenly they're on TV again, being asked for their autograph and all that. And so word started to spread. And by year two, you know, we were raising $30,000, $40,000 with rosters of 30 plus players. And before the pandemic, you know, this had grown into a three day event celebrity weekend with a game, a gala and a golf tournament. I know you've been to all three and, yeah. and helped us promote it over the years. And in those days, prior to the pandemic, we were raising about 180 grand a weekend. Uh, so we'll, we'll surpass a million raised uh, by next year. Wow. But the pandemic hit, as you said, we had to go virtual. I was really proud of what we did. There was no other school in America that put on anything like that in the midst of the pandemic. We literally had all 10 of the top 10 three-point shooters in the history of Kansas basketball taking part in that special or one-hour TV special we did through Midco. Uh, but this year, you know, we're excited to be back live and in person. We've been planning all along for August the 5th, knowing that the Delta variant could come spiking upward numbers wise, and we'd have to be very careful. And so we put out messaging about two and a half, three weeks ago, saying that we were going to ask everybody to mask up. And I knew that was an unpopular decision with some that are ready to be done with masks and all that. But we had to put the, player, uh, the uh, players and the children as our right. first and foremost priority, especially the immunocompromised children right. that are going through chemotherapy. And, and you know, if they're going to be in the building, we got to make sure everybody's masked up. And so we did that about three weeks ago now and then found out in the last 48 hours that uh, you know, the USD 497 folks are going to mandate masks for everybody in indoor events of any kind anyway that's just the way things are trending, unfortunately. So uh, we will have the game, but Tyler, we're going to have the game with 50% capacity as of today. And we're going to continue to monitor health and safety protocols and talk with local health officials. If we have to shrink the number down even more, we will, which is unfortunate, but it just means, you know, watching the game on television or listening to it on the radio and, and supporting those advertisers uh, is even more important because that's how we're going to make our money if we can't sell as many tickets. The point is we want to keep everybody safe and healthy, but still put on a great show. And so we've done that. We've got a round bowl classic this year, which is going to be a Friday night celebrity bowling event with 30 lanes of former Jayhawk stars with a celeb on each lane. That's kind of taken the place of the dinner this year. And so all things told, in kind of a one-off year where we couldn't do everything we would normally do outside of the pandemic, I'm pleased with how it's come together. I'm absolutely thrilled with the rosters. We've got uh, five current NBA guys coming back, 12 total players with NBA experience. And uh, some of these guys have never played in the game before, like Marcus and Markeith Morris, Greg Ostertag, who's 48 years old, but still going to lace him up and, and play with us, the former Utah Jazz Center. You know, we got some of the mainstays like Devontae and Ben McLemore, and Svee will be back, which is a lot of fun. Uh, so we're, we're really fired up, and I do think that – uh, for those that aren't lucky enough to get a ticket, because there are so a few tickets out there on the market right now because of the, the pandemic restrictions. If you have a heart for this cause, if you watch the telecast on Spectrum Sports or Cox Cable or through one of our streaming partners, please consider donating anyway. Please consider you know, benefiting and impacting the lives of these three beneficiary kids, Briella, Riley, and Matthew. And then also Baby J's Legacy of Hope is another organization that we give to that allows us to benefit dozens of more cancer-fighting Kansas kids. 
Uh, you can do that by buying a t-shirt online. You can do that by submitting a donation online. You could sponsor a lane for the bowling event for 300 bucks. There's lots of ways to contribute, even if you don't have a ticket. And I think when you see the stories of these kids, and we'll start putting out some biographical videos on them on Monday of event week, uh, it's going to pull at the heartstrings and make you realize why we do what we do and why we've done it for 13 years and now going on a million dollars raised uh, by next year because uh, these kids are absolute warriors. They're, they're just the pride and joy and the inspiration of the whole thing. And Tyler, I know you know this, having been in the room, when we turn off the lights and we have the players form a tunnel and, and we've got the Chicago Bulls serious music that Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen used to come out yeah. to. You know how it goes. Okay, that's enough singing. But the point is, the lights are out, the tunnel is formed, that music's playing. We get on the PA. It'll be Hank Booth this year, former Allen Fieldhouse voice. And he's like, and now the starting lineups for your round ball classic. And then instead of talking about the kids, or rather the players, he says, here are the kids. It's like standing in at two feet, six inches tall from Topeka, Briella Hayes. And the crowd just goes nuts. And the kids become the stars of the show. Yeah. Yes, it's great. You've got you know, a Laker, a Clipper, a Thunder player, a Hornet out there, but the kids are the stars. And for that moment, for that evening, they're not thinking about chemotherapy. They're not thinking about the daunting, you know, challenge and, and, and journey in front of them with cancer. They're getting bounced on Bill Self's knee like we've seen him do over the years with some of the younger kids. They're getting high fives from Baby J. They're getting standing ovations from a capacity crowd. That, to me, is what it's all about. And then whatever happens in the game after that, however many dunks or threes that are hit, it, it really doesn't matter. It's about making those kids feel like a million bucks and, and hopefully raising 100000 bucks to help them with their medical expenses. And, and what's a really tough hand to be dealt, not only physically but financially, when a lot of parents have to quit their jobs because they're dealing with trips across the state to Children's Mercy Hospital and they can't afford to work and be at the hospital at the same time. That's why we do what we do. And so hopefully folks will get on board with that and be a part of it next week. Brian, uh, you, you've dealt with uh, a lot of these kids over the years and their stories are all incredible and so, you know, touching. Tell me, uh, you know, what, what comes to mind? What are some of your favorites, uh, some of the kids you've worked with and some of their stories of, of the moments that they've had at, at the round ball classic run? Well, that's a great question, Tyler. You know, there's certainly special relationships that I've, I've built with a lot of the kids. And one of the closest of which was a young man that just passed away a couple of months ago, Nicholas Parscale, a many in, in the uh, sports online community knew him as Nick the Brave because he had a podcast uh, interviewing his heroes about positivity and, he and I and, and he and Bill Self developed a really close bond and, and you know, some of that was publicized, but he's one of my all-time favorites. In terms of in-game moments, though, involving the kids, we had a, a Sports Center uh, top three moment happen at the game that made it all the way to Bristol, Connecticut on Sports Center when about seven years ago, there was a young man named Levi Ross and Levi was 18 and had a terminal diagnosis. He had a, a huge tumor in the back of his neck that almost kept him from being able to move his head and it was growing rapidly and he knew he didn't have a lot of time left, but he told his family that, that one of his last wishes was to be able to take a summertime road trip and drive down highway one in California, going down the coastline with his best friend and, and make some memories and one problem, no car. And so crown automotive, our great partner, Miles Schneer and everybody over there at crown, uh, we got together and we rigged, 
what is normally a half-court shot to win a car contest, we rigged it to where we drew his name intentionally. And then rather than making the poor kid try to shoot it from half-court when he's, he's got this tumorous, uh, cancerous tumor in the back of his neck, we, we said, you know what, how about instead of making a half-court shot, you throw an alley-oop dunk? And how about you pick any player you want on the bench to be on the receiving end of that dunk? Well, he picked Ben McLemore, who at the time was with Sacramento Kings, now a Laker. And uh, he lobs up the perfect alley-oop dunk. Ben throws down this vicious slam. The crowd goes wild. I see a couple of players with, with water welling up in the edges of their eyes, and they weren't chopping onions. I mean, they, they were absolutely getting emotionally touched by this. And, uh, and that's, the, that's a special moment when you realize – uh, the impact that you could have. And I think some of these players, you know, found out that night. And to this day, Ben's been back every year. Ben has been one of our biggest contributors in terms of his presence, his finances, everything. It was such a special bond instantly formed. You talk about the connection of a pass to a dunker. It was a connection that I think will last all of eternity between those two. And even though Levi has gone home to be with the Lord now, um, we still think about him every year. And each of the 10 kids that have passed away out of the 38 that we've been able to benefit in 13 years, um, each of those 10 are honored every year with a banner that hangs at the arena that's made to look just like the retired jersey numbers that you'll see in the Allen Fieldhouse rafters. It's the same exact design and size and everything. And uh, we call them the Divine Nine. Uh, a couple of years ago when we hung them for the first time. Now we have a tenth up there in Nicholas Parscale and a special ceremony to honor him this year. We hate to lose them, no doubt, but we never will forget them. And we try to you know, do things each and every year to commemorate their fight, their strength, their legacy, and the impact they had on all of us along the way. That's unreal. Uh, Brian, where can people uh, find out more information? Uh, if they want to donate or or uh, you just get involved, what, what's the easiest way to uh, find out more? Well, it's, it's a mouthful, Tyler. It's, uh, it's a long web domain, but it's a good one. RockChalkRoundBallClassic.com. Just RoundBallClassic.com was taken by some guy in Kentucky. So we had to, we had to take <laughs> RockChalkRoundBallClassic.com. Yes, can't trust him. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so check that out. We've got all kinds of links where you can contribute with the general donation or, like I said, buy a, a bowling team, a lane sponsorship, buy a T-shirt, whatever. Uh, there's a ton of ways you can contribute. You can read about the stories of this year's beneficiaries. You can read about the uh, players that we're adding each and every day to the events, and it's a great way to interact with us as well. Plus, every day on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, we're announcing new Jayhawk participants, so make sure you keep your eyes on that over the next eight days or so as well. Very cool. All right, Brian, we got a little bit of time left, so I do want to ask you some uh, kids' football stuff. Uh, we get about a month and a half before the season starts. You're one of the uh, Lance Leipold era. What is uh, what is Lance Leipold bringing to KU, Brian? You know, I think the best way to describe coach is we've tried everything at Kansas in the last 13 years, you know, on the heels of, of the Mark Mangino reign that had Kansas winning 20 games in a two-year stretch and the first and only back-to-back -back bowl seasons in program history. We've tried the, the big name. We've tried the big personalities. We've tried the, you know, guys that are in the twilight of their career and other guys that are on the way up that haven't achieved it yet. We've tried about everything. And in this case, I think we, we finally hit on maybe the winning ingredient, which is just a guy that uh, isn't so deep in his career that it's, the 11th hour, but he's far enough along 
that he knows how to win. He's a proven winner. He's done it everywhere. You've read all about what he did at Wisconsin Whitewater and, and the fastest coach to 100 wins in college football history, a guy that, that won six national championships and six national coach of the year honors and all that. But then he, he goes to the MAC and, and takes a Buffalo program that was in need of a shot in the arm and you know, winds up winning 30 games over his last four seasons there, goes to back-to-back-to-back to back to back bowl games. And he doesn't do it by overselling with this huge personality. He doesn't do it by overpromising or guaranteeing anything. He just flat out outworks him. He rolls up his sleeves, he gets in the trenches, and, and he goes to work. And it may not be flashy or, uh, you know, we, we may not have a, a coach with as many endorsement deals as we had the last time around, <laughs> but we do have a coach that I think knows – the winning recipe. And he surrounded himself with coaches. He trusts half of his staff. He, he brought from Buffalo. He kept a lot of the coaches intact from the miles staff for the sake of continuity. And I think it's a good blend. But when I think about him, I just think about a no nonsense. What you see is what you get. Let's get down to business type guy. And that's frankly what we need in rebuilding a program that's gone through so much struggles. You know, he, he was asked a question on the first show we ever did together by a fan do you have any interesting or unique pregame superstitions? And, and his answer was perfect. He said, while we were hoping for some juicy, great story or whatever, some great soundbite, he said, you know what? Honestly, I'm a really boring guy. Uh, my pregame superstition or tradition is as soon as I get the players on the field where they're supposed to be, I go back into my office, I get out my iPad, and I cram in 20 more minutes of film study. And he's like, I know that's really boring, but that's just who I am. And it made me think, that's just what we need. A guy that at every opportunity is, is just trying to be as prepared as he can possibly be and make his players as prepared for victory as they possibly can be. And, and somebody came up to me after that show and they said, you know, his personality and, and the way he does things, it, it just, it kind of reminds me of Bill Snyder. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. The fan said, and I said, well, I'll tell you how you should feel about that. You should feel great because if you went to a K state fan and said, your next head coach is going to remind you of Bill Self. Of course they'd take that, right? And, and I, I think the common denominator that this fan was, was tapping into with his comparison was simply that no flash, all substance, and, and let's just get down to business with a formula on how we think we're going to win and, and not let any outside distractions get in the way or pomp and circumstance. Let's just outwork you. And I think that's Lance Leipold to a T. He's a family man. He's an he's, he's unbelievable man of integrity and character. And he surrounded himself with coaches that are the same way. Players are bought in. I know we lost three guys, obviously, to the SEC with transfers. But if you look at the timing in which he came in and the, the era that we're living in in college football, where you can just up and pack your bags and leave the next day without any uh, repercussion at all, I think his ability to retain as much of the roster as he did was fantastic. And yes, those are three tough losses, three of our best defensive players. But overall, the buy-in he's got in that locker room is tremendous. And once he's able to add his own players in his own full recruiting classes, you know, with a full year to do it, you're going to have less and less guys leaving because they're more vested because they came in with this particular staff of coaches in place. And I think that's how a program like Kansas that's on the opposite end of the, the totem pole is able to weather the storm in an era where unfortunately the rules are set up to make the rich richer, where you can poach and pilfer whatever you want without repercussion. Um, you need to get your own guys in there and then get them invested and entrenched in what you're building. And I think that's the type of approach he's going to take. And hopefully for Kansas, that's the type of results he's going to bring.
Yeah, last thing we'll end on this. Uh, I mean, you mentioned that, yes, they did lose some guys, but there's still some decent talent on this roster. And, and getting you know close to that 85 scholarship number, which they've been trying for years and such, I mean, I, I know that we've been here before, Brian, but I, I feel reason to be optimistic about the future of this program and that we'll, we'll see them have some moments this year. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. It's a challenging schedule, certainly. But uh, I think there's, there's a chance in that first month to make some headlines. Obviously, we owe Coastal Carolina a couple of games after they've come into Lawrence twice now and gotten us. And you'll have a chance with South Dakota and Duke as well. And Baylor comes to Lawrence in that first month. And so there's some opportunity there. And I think like it does come down to every year with every team, uh, you know, what's it going to look like under center? Who wins the quarterback battle and, and how dynamic is he and his leadership of that offense, especially with a new coaching staff and a new offensive coordinator and all of the above? You know, is it Jalen Daniels and, and his his job to lose? Is it somebody else that they brought in uh, like like being out of North Texas? Could he be the guy? But I, I think obviously you've got a lot of talent around them. They fortify the offensive line. I like the running back stable. I think there's some capable pass catchers as well. And defensively, even with the losses I alluded to, you know, Kenny Logan's back there to help anchor it. And I think there are more pieces in the cupboard that he inherited than meets the eye. So I'm not going to sit up here and predict, you know, bowl eligibility in the first season. But I know that Lance Leipold would be disappointed if I didn't think it was possible because we sat down and had a meeting. We were laying out all of the uh, shows that we have for Hawk Talk with our, our network GM, myself and coach. And, and the network GM was like, well, coach, you know, we have 13 episodes. Uh, one preseason episode, and then one for each game. And they said, well, when's the bowl game episode? And, and we both kind of looked at each other like, well, we haven't had one of those in a while. And, and coach was dead serious, like, hey, you've got to schedule that one too. And we're like, okay, we'll get right on that. You know, and so he has that mentality. And he has that mentality from the jump, no matter how daunting of a task it may appear to be on the outside. You know, they're, they're setting up to build a winner and build a winner fast. And so I, I think they got a chance to be very competitive this year, surprise several teams, and hopefully come out well ahead of what the outside perception of what KU football can be happens to be in 2021. He's Brian Haney. You can follow him on Twitter at B Haney. Check out the uh, Rock Chuck Round Ball Classic coming up in just a week from right now. More information, rockchuckroundballclassic.com. That's rockchuckroundballclassic.com. Brian, we appreciate the time as always, my friend. Always great catching up with you, and we'll talk to you down the line. Best of luck next week with the event, man. Hey, thanks, Tyler. Thanks for promoting it and having the heart for the kids that you do. That means a lot, buddy. Have a good one. We'll talk to you down the road. Time for Coach Bowles Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can check out O'Connor Advisory Group online, oagks.com, o'connoradvisorygroup.com is the websites. Also, you can reach out to Brian by phone at 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. By email, brian.oconnor at lpl.com. That's Brian with a Y. And also on Facebook uh, at O'Connor Advisory Group. You can check him out there for more information. Bo, appreciate the time as always, my friend. It was uh, good seeing the uh, the office the other day for the first time. Uh, tell me about what's going on at O'Connor Advisor Group. Uh, certainly some exciting times, it seems, for you guys these days. Yeah, we're staying busy. Uh, I mean, there's always something going on. I'm working late tonight and going to be helping some people out with some things. But, uh, you know, right now we're making a big push. It's this time of year. It's, you know, schools, kids are getting ready to go back to school here. Believe it or not, kids are going back to school in a few weeks. Yeah. Um, hey, this is the time you were talking to families, and I want to talk to people about something. 
Do you have life insurance? If you were gone tomorrow, would your family be able to make it without it, without your income? Um, it's a big one. It's a big one. And I know a lot of folks get stuff through their work and it's just not enough. We want to avoid our clients. You know what we've never had? We've never had a client in O'Connor Advisory Group that passed away. We've had a few. I never had one that passed away that had to have a GoFundMe. Mm. And I would just be torn up if that ever happened to one of my clients. Right. So if you see these people out here who unfortunately stuff happens and and they're gone, it, it's just awful that we have to, you know, be there and do those sort of things. But don't be the burden to your family. Give me a call. We're gonna get you taken care of, we'll get you a quote, we'll get you running around. A lot of companies are waiving medical exams right now because of COVID restrictions and some different things there. If you got clean health, we can get you through quickly. I got a guy through in four days, a couple of days this last week on a, on a $2 million life insurance policy. And it can be term, it can be whole life. It can be anything you're looking for. We got access to 75 different carriers, all sorts of, com of competitive stuff we can do. Give us a call, let us help you out. Protect your life, protect your family, and everything you do for them. Let us be your partner in helping that with that. ConnorAdvisorGroup.com, OAGCast.com for more information there. And uh, Bo also getting ready for uh, the launch of his podcast here in a few weeks as well. I have some more details on that uh, in the uh, coming days. Bo, let's start out on the college football side. I know most of the time we tend to lean towards the NFL, but I want to start there with – the conference realignment discussion with the Big 12 and the SEC. And when we left you last week, we were given the news that this was occurring. And now here we are a week later, and we are just hours away from Oklahoma and Texas being official members of the SEC at this point. And Bo, I figured out the perfect explanation of why all this is going on and you know, the Big 12's madness, why they can't put this all together. Here's what I figured out. Did you know, Bo, that the Big 12 office is next to the Dallas Church of Scientology? Well, that makes a lot of, uh, a lot of sense. You know, the Church of Scientology, maybe you should send over their best organizer, the person who gets their shit together for them, because the Big 12 needs it. The Big 12 has no vision. Maybe they need to write, read some Mel Ron Hubbard. I don't know what to tell them. I mean, anything Tom they can Cruz. do. Help me, Tom Cruise. <laughs> Help me, Tom Cruise. <laughs> Ricky and Bobby for you there. Yeah, hey, the Big 12 could use Tom Cruise, anything they can get their hands on right now. Help them out. Um, this is the most poorly run organization I think I've ever seen in sports. I mean, I've seen youth football programs and seen them know what the hell they're doing more than the Big 12. I got a kick out of it. I know we talked about it yesterday that uh, offline we were talking. And I said something about I saw Bill Snyder tweeted out, you know, have patience and have confidence in the, the commissioner and the and the elite and the uh, presidents of the universities. I just simply tweeted him back, look, no offense to you, coach, but um He's the biggest problem you've you got. I mean, plain and simple. There's just no vision. That's been that's insulting. It is. It's their the, no vision has been the Big 12's calling cards since the beginning. I mean, it was just the easiest. 
when they went from Big Eight to Big Twelve, they added four teams. There was just nothing to it. Nothing but okay, get the four Texas teams. What are we going to do? Okay, great. And the Big Twelve is going to end up being the Southwest Conference. They're just going to be gone. Everyone now is looking for a life raft. In the case of Oklahoma and Texas, Bo, you know, I felt like that based on what we've seen the last couple of days, it was a foregone conclusion that they were leaving the Big 12 anyway. It was just a matter of narrowing down their path, and they figured out the SEC was the best fit for them. But I think also in the sense that the Big 12 looked at where the or, – or Oklahoma and Texas, rather, looked at where the Big 12 is at and said, no matter what – we are getting out of here. This place is an embarrassment. They are not worthy of having us. I mean, the the last option for Oklahoma and Texas, it feels like, was to stay in the league. That wasn't even on the table. Yeah, I don't see what was in it for them to stay. I mean, that really is where I'm at at this point. Like, what is in it for Oklahoma and Texas to stay in the Big 12? And, and it is for the – for the Big 12 to be salty about it to accuse ESPN, you know, I I think that's kind of strange too. And then I, I but the Big 12 has been a disaster. And this just goes to show it. You look at what's what's the most important thing in, in football, college football as far as money. It's TV rights. ESPN gave the SEC the huge deals, $2 billion for all those rights. The Big 12 has done a terrible job of negotiating TV rights. The last time around, they gave Texas too much power. A lot of them have the SEC. They have the, the Long Arm Network, which has been just a failure on monumental applications. Um, I mean, it's just the Big 12, is just, there's no vision to them. It's always hold on to what we've got. You know, hold on to heritage and, our, and where we, who we are. And look, this ain't how sports is going. And it's not just college football, it's everything. It's college basketball, it's the NBA, it's the NFL, Major League Baseball. Everybody's moving forward. Everyone's trying to find out what's better, what's going to bring in more money, what's going to put more eyeballs in the product, what's going to sell more merchandise, what's going to sell more tickets. And the Big 12 has done the worst. And they were not going to get a big contract from Fox. Fox is going to spend all the money on the Big 10 and the Pac-12. So now they're running fourth in a four-dog competition. They don't have – from there, you look at it and go, okay, well, you're fourth. The SEC got all the money. CBS isn't paying anybody anymore. They're going to be out of the SEC business, and they're not going to pay anything. They're putting all their money toward the NFL. NBC has Notre Dame and really hasn't shown that they want to do anything other than that. ESPN and ABC is already taken. At least just Fox. Fox isn't going to take three different conferences, maybe two, maybe some kind of a Big Ten, Pac-12 thing, but the Big 12 doesn't draw enough eyeballs to compete with that. Right. Yeah. And now going forward, I know that in the Big 12 circumstance, they're thinking every man for themselves and, you know, trying to figure out who's got an ideal home here, who's a natural fit and all this. And I heard John Skipper on a Lepetard, the former ESPN president, the other day talk about this. And as much as we want to spend time, Bo, talking about, okay, you know, this makes sense because they have prior history or nostalgia and all that, at the end of the day, none of that really matters. 
the regionalization doesn't really matter that much either. It's about who's going to bring in the almighty dollar. And when you're thinking about the Big Ten, and you may say to yourself, well, you know, Kansas and Iowa State seem like natural fits. I mean, I'm sure KU fans would love that, but in actuality, why would the Big Ten not be thinking bigger? And you know what? Why not we bring in some of those name brand Pac-12 schools? Or maybe we go for a couple ACC schools or whatever it may be. Like, why would we not think that the Big Ten, who thinks they're on the same par as the SEC, is not going to try to react just as much as the SEC would? Why would they settle just for regionally? I think that we have to keep our eyes peeled and wide open for those potential bigger moves. We can't assume anything. Yeah, I think the biggest thing, if you look at the difference in some of the, some of the conferences, I think you're right with the Big Ten. Big Ten's, we've seen reports, they're already talking to, to USC or UCLA and Oregon, Stanford possibly. Washington. The, the Washington, yeah. There are, the old argument was, well, if your conference is so spread out, it hurts your other programs and they have to travel. Granted, that's true. But that's small-minded thinking. That's the kind of thinking that's gotten the Big 12 in trouble. That's 1990s thinking. It is. It's 1990s and before that thinking of, well, we're worried about the girls' softball team having to go from Lubbock, Texas, to Morgantown, West Virginia. You know, what they're not keeping their eye on the the real prize. And the real prize is if you make enough money at the top, you drive enough sales. Like in your normal business, you drive enough sales, you can worry about the additional costs. And they're losing out on the additional sales of having a big football product because they're too worried about the costs. They're like your penny pension aunt, who when you go to it, you go to a, a fast food restaurant, she's always got a got a got a coupon. You know, it's like, hey, I don't need your coupon. Just get through this. Let's go. I'll need to say fifty cents on my burger. Let's get out of here. You know, and that's the Big Twelve mentality. The Big Twelve is the couponers. The SEC is eating steak. They don't care how much it costs. Mm -hmm. I think that's well said. Last thing on this, just about Oklahoma and Texas in particular, what are they bringing to the SEC? We know Oklahoma's a powerhouse and, you know, been one of the top national teams in the country for the last decade, you know, with uh, six straight Big 12 uh, uh, championships. Texas down right now. They've had their worst decade of football in a long time, if ever, do you think these two are going to compete uh, in the SEC? Where do you see them, you know, from a, a competitive standpoint and a financial standpoint? What is the SEC getting out of these two schools? Well, it's a good question. You know, with the SEC, they're going to get two great schools. I mean, yes, Texas has not been what Texas is supposed to be. And Oklahoma will be competitive. You know, people will say, well, it's so much easier to win in the Big 12. It's true, and Oklahoma hasn't fared well in the playoff systems that they've been in. They've been winning the Big 12 every year, seemingly every year. Um, but what you do have to look at is that not every team in the SEC competes for the championship every year as well. I mean, it's kind of overstated in that way. Yes, Alabama does in football. But, I mean, I'm an LSU guy. LSU lost five games last year. You know, Georgia has lost games. I mean – there's Florida has gone through its downtimes. So yeah, you're going to just see uh, the conference is going to be more stacked top to bottom. The bottom of the SEC is still going to be a monster. 
I mean, think about it that way. That's what these conferences are looking at. They want, I mean, now you add Oklahoma and Texas, that's you got really eight just really solid programs. I think they will be competitive. I think Oklahoma will be competitive more than Texas initially, but Texas is Texas and they will, they're going to get recruits. They're going to get players. You know, I think that Texas joining the SEC helps them. I think they're going to get more recruits. I mean, if you look, one of the big knocks on Texas, why they were they were losing guys to LSU, to AM, to Alabama in this state. But Texas is losing all of those guys because, hey, all their games are on night. You know, there's a three o'clock game on CBS, but most of their games are on night. They're getting more exposure. SEC players dominate the NFL draft. So if you're a player and you're looking forward to that, plus now with name image likeness. You're going to have even more ways to show who you are through the SEC and the SEC network. Even if you're talking about different, different uh, non-football, um, non-football uh, sports, I mean, you're going to get a better women's diver at Oklahoma than you've ever gotten because now she gets to have some of those things on the SEC network. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe before she ends up at. Maybe she wasn't good enough to be at one of the top, top tier teams. And now she's said, hey, I can go TV more. Mm-hmm. My parents can see, my grandparents can see. Those kind of things are a big deal. We've talked a lot about name, image, likeness. This is like the third domino now. I mean, first it was the new playoff. Name, image, likeness. The Big 12, Oklahoma and Texas now leaving. We're going toward a super conference. We're going toward four super conferences. Maybe and two the, super conferences. Yeah, and the casualty is the Big 12. So the Big 12 fans, I'm sorry. I feel sorry for you. There's no reason for the Big 12 anymore. You're done. There, this, this is no way to unless The only way you save the Big 12 conference is if you get super aggressive. You go down from eight teams to 16. But what eight teams are coming to the Big 12? It's going to have to be Memphis and Houston. And teams from the Atlantic Athletic Conference. The Americans. from the Mountain West. And, and that's not enough to where you're going to get a big TV contract. Right. So I, I think this is the death blow to the Big 12. I think it has everything to do with going back to the very beginning. The biggest misstep the Big 12 ever made was when Michigan, Missouri, and Nebraska left. Just staying put at 10. Everybody else was willing to expand. The Big Ten expanded. The SEC expanded. Every other big Pac-12 expanded. Everyone expanded. The Big Ten stay or the Pac. I'm sorry. The Big 12 stayed home with 10 teams, and said, "Well, we're going to give you a bigger chunk of the rights." And that's small-time thinking. That's that as you defined it earlier, 1990s thinking. Instead, the other conferences have eaten them up. The story of the Big 12 was going to be reactionary thinking and not progressive thinking. Absolutely. That is the death of the Big 12. That is their death. Absolutely. Absolutely. The the Big 12 has – the idea of the Big 12 was a really great idea. It was the old Big 8 teams, and you added the four teams from Texas giving you a bigger reach. But what happened from there was now the Big 12 didn't think, well, what are we doing next? 
I run a business and I'm always thinking about, okay, what's next? Mm-hmm. How do I keep Me going? Too. How do I keep expanding? You and your brand, the same thing. You want to, what's next? We've got to keep the ball rolling. Mm-hmm. And when you're not doing that, you're doing a disservice to your members. Yeah, no doubt about it. Let's, uh, let's move on. Let's go to the National Football League. Your favorite topic, Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> he showed up to camp. He's there. He had some words that uh, were said. They did change up his deal a little bit, cut off a year from his contract, have told him that if he's still unhappy, they're going to let him be traded to where he wants to go. Um, Aaron unleashed, and we saw the Instagram photos that he and Devontae Adams had comparing themselves to the last dance. And, you know, Aaron made it known that he hasn't liked the track record of how the Packers handled uh, some of their former players towards the end of their careers, the likes of Jordy Nelson and Charles Woodson, Julius Peppers, uh, just to name a few. I mean, he, he aired his grievances out there. Good 30 minutes today. Um, you know, I will say, and you and I have been consistent on this about Aaron Bow, is that if he came back to Green Bay, he's still going to have a great year. He's still going to play 100%. Um, he's not happy, and I still think this is the end. But now you bring in Randall Cobb. Um, you know, Aaron's still going to be excited, give his best out there. I think we're going to see the Packers be a very good team this year, and that'd be it. I mean, they'll, they'll have a good year. They'll contend, and Aaron will say bye next year. I don't think that changed. Yeah, I think we've talked about it. I've been very consistent with my what I think. I think this is Aaron Rodgers is staying for one year, and he's done. I think that's it. There's a shelf life there now. Um, I didn't see the whole press conference. I saw a couple of clips, and you showed it you sent over to me, and, and, and the body language was everything I needed to know. It was like, okay, here's why I'm here. Yeah, uh-huh, mm-hmm. It, you know, when you hear everything he said, again, I haven't seen it all yet. Are you a Seinfeld fan? Did you ever watch Seinfeld? Yeah. yeah. It's like the you mentioned the grievances. It's the airing of the grievances. Aaron Rodgers is Frank Costanza. Yes, it's Festivus in Green Bay. I, I, got, a lot of, I got a lot of problems with you people, and I'm going to tell you all about it now. He needs to keep doing it. This is the Aaron Rodgers I'm here for. I'm here for Aaron Rodgers airing the grievances like it's Festivus every day for the rest of the, for the rest of the training camp. Season, don't let it be a distraction during the season. But for training camp, I'm all about this. Let him go ahead and keep talking. But I, he needs to get even higher. You know, when you like Frank Costanza was a Kroger. You know, I hear what you're doing is terrible over there. You know, he needs to call him out. Call him out by name. Call out the GM by name, you know. Say, hey, man, I listen to all this Brett Favre bullshit in the beginning. Then I come in, I've won three MVPs, won the Super Bowl, and you guys can't help me out? I'm Aaron freaking Rodgers. Right. And, man, he, he, he let it fly a little bit. And I'm all for I'm team Aaron on this one. I'm team Aaron Rodgers the whole way. You know, he mentions the last dance, and, I mean, you know, in Jordan's case, he'd won five titles going into that case. But I like this idea, Bo, of Aaron playing with a bit of chip on his shoulder. You know, yeah. he and Devontae and such. I mean, I don't think this is going to hold them back at all. I, I, I think that the locker room knows that, you know, Aaron's a good teammate, that his issues aren't with 
that team or Matt LaFleur. It's the culture of management and such. I, I, I think his teammates are going to understand that, and this won't be a distraction. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be a distraction either. I think him laying it out helps prevent that. I think in the end, you know, the players around him are going to either, you know, you get on the page or you get off. And I think that's going to be Aaron Rodgers' view from the rest of the season. I think that uh, this is going to be phenomenal to watch. Is it the last dance? Certainly not. I mean, this is not going to be Jordan walking off into the sunset. Uh, it's actually the second comparison of something I've heard to, to Jordan coming back this, this, this week. Um, but that's kind of funny on the Aaron Rodgers thing in the last dance. No, I think that I, he's gonna have. He's still got a lot left in the tank. He's gonna play this season. He's gonna end up in Denver or with the Raiders next season, and he's gonna have even more in the tank then. I think. Yeah, it's all gonna work out. It's gonna be it fun, um, and uh, things will go from there. So, how about uh, Deshaun Watson? Uh, Deshaun Watson. He is uh, back in Houston. Showed up to training camp. Still wants that trade, and uh, has not been punished by the NFL yet. What do you make of how things are with Deshaun and the Texans right now? Well, first off, Deshaun Watson needs to send a thank you card, a gift card, a, a fruit tray, something to Aaron Rodgers, taking all the heat off. I mean, we were talking about Deshaun Watson every week until the Rodgers stuff happened. There's no new news on Deshaun Watson. Um, I, I wonder, there's a lot of questions I have here about this. I mean, there's, there's too much smoke for it to be some fire. And yeah, I think it's also could be a little bit of Deshaun Watson saying, hey, you know, I really don't want to be here. I want to go somewhere else. And, you know, the, the, the team hasn't come out and says, well, we can't trade you. You kind of got some problems here. You can't do that. But Rodgers, I mean, I'm sorry, Deshaun Watson needs to, I, I think he needs to stay quiet. I, I hate to say that in his case because I just said to I just said with the white quarterback that he needs to talk and the black quarterback I'm saying to be quiet. And if you know me, you know, that's really the direct opposite of what I think. But the Watsons is, is, is legal. That's the difference. It's the legality piece of it. And I mean, again, I don't know. I mean, this could be, they could be in terms of a settlement right now. And, and so he's going, well, you know what? The lawyers are handling that. I'm going to be out of here. I'm back to football mode. And that could be very well all it is. And, so um, it's hard for me to say, you know, to be quiet or to do things, you know, but he made the camp. He's in camp. And the biggest thing is the NFL has let this whole thing down. The NFL hasn't gotten involved and said either you're suspended or you're not. Or if they have, it hasn't become public. So you have to make the assumption if you're the player, they, they ain't said nothing. I'm not suspended. I'm not in jail. So what the hell? I might as well go to work. Now, has the trade market, you think, changed at all? I know the Texans were adamant from the beginning that they never wanted to trade him and that they weren't <laughs> listening to offers and such. Um, do you think that the, the right offer for the Texans could potentially still be out there, or is everybody going to stand pat until they know something from the league, whether he's punished or not? You cannot trade for Deshaun Watson until you know what the league is going to do. Now, if you're thinking about it, you've talked to the league, and get some guidance and say, hey, where are you at with this? What's going to happen? We don't want to put four players out there in this trade or three players or whatever it's going to be to get a player and you suspend him for a year and a half. You know, we're not going to do that. So all parties are going to have to be patient. The NFL needs to do their job. 
mm-hmm. whether, whether that's going to wait on the legal system or not. The NFL has not done a good job over the last few years of adjudicating punishment in a timely manner anyway. You know, they, they seem to go fast in certain cases, slow in others. Um, you know, this is a star player and a player that's a big name in the league, so I can see that you're taking your time and doing plenty of diligence. Um, same time, I, yeah, back to your question of what do you do if you're the Texans? You just got to stand pat because you're not going to get a good offer right you're not going to get a good offer for Deshaun Watson until the legal issues are resolved. And if you take a deal now, it's because you want to get rid of it. Because mm-hmm. no team's offering a big trade. None. Right. Right. And, and any offers that were out there before are off the table now. They're off the table. And, and, and the Texans have got to realize that. they got to realize that. So people are talking to the Texans and they're saying, hey, Will, are you listening? Are you wanting to do something? Texas can't be going out there publicly and say, we want five players for him. Mm-hmm. Unless he's cleared. Unless the commissioner's cleared him and said, yeah, this is all good. He can play. I, I feel like this is an obvious answer, but I'm still going to ask it anyway because it needs to be asked. If the Texans had to do it over again, Deshaun would have been gone months ago, right? You know, that's where the salary cap's the bear there. Is that, you know... If they could have gotten the good trade at the very beginning before this all came out, yeah, they should have, should have, could have, would have. But as soon as it started, it's got to end. The trade talk's got to end. Mm-hmm. So that's a tough deal all around. I, I think that I, I, I've been very sympathetic. I'm always sympathetic to players. It's just the nature of who I am. But this one, it's like, okay, let's see what happens before we start talking too much. That's right. a big deal. I mean, that, that's that's a big deal what's going on. The NFL has to do their part, though, and adjudicate this quickly. Speaking of the NFL doing their part, uh, Frank Clark also showed up to Chiefs camp. We know that uh, he's under investigation. He's got some charges uh, for uh, a, a gun situation. Second time he's been charged in the state of California. And uh, some pretty serious stuff there. He could be facing some jail time, but nonetheless, he's at camp in St. Joe for the Chiefs. Um, for the Chiefs, what, what do you do with Frank Clark until the league says something? Just keep on going, business as yeah. usual with Frank Clark. It, it absolutely is business as usual until you have a until you have a firm answer from the from the NFL. I mean, that has to be what it is, whether that's Deshaun Watson, Frank Clark, or anything else. I mean, you have to just keep it moving. And then if we come to find out later he can't play, well, then he can't play. But, yeah, I think that you just keep the ball rolling. And, yeah, I mean, you can't suspend him. You can't do anything that's going to be harmful to your team right now. So bring him in, get him going, and get get moving. Yeah. Um, and uh, just figure out things from there at that point uh, when, uh, when that battle, you know, when that time comes uh, of sorts. Uh, another one for you, uh, Dolphins quarterback, cornerback uh, Xavier Howard, uh, solid player. Uh, you know, he requested a trade out of uh, Miami, all pro at that cornerback spot. Um, to me, I, I thought this was odd in the sense, Bo, that you're talking about Miami, who is coming off a playoff appearance. And, you know, they got a lot of young talent. They've shown that they've been willing to pay their guys here. 
this one this one just doesn't add up to me why why howard wants out there's got to be something going on we don't know about yeah that's what i think too there's something we don't know about. there was a negotiation somewhere it didn't go well i mean it's kind of have to read the tea leaves a little bit looks like somebody went in and asked for an extension and some new money and someone said no not right now and i can see where the dolphins are going because the dolphins are saying well we got to figure out this quarterback situation so they're probably not wanting to extend and put a lot of money out there until they know what they're doing with Tua. Um, you know, but I read it, read it the same way you are. We're on the same roadmap here. I think this is a bad extension talk, extension talk going bad. And uh, player, you know, he, he thinks he's outworked his contract and outplayed his contract. Then he thinks he should get some money. You know, I, 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 I again, I'm the guy who supports players. So, yeah, I'm going to get painted with that brush the whole way. Um, so I do go like, yeah, get, get your money. But um, so I, I, my support would be with the player in this case. I'm kind of curious, though, to see if that's what it is or if there's something else more to it. Well, and, and when you start to think about things, you wonder, okay, the way Brian Flores handled that Tua and Ryan Fitzpatrick deal last year, even though they made the playoffs, that was a mess, the back and forth there. And, you know, maybe not trying to read too much into things, but it does make you question, okay, then what else is going on if Brian Flores, as good of a coach we thought he was, if he mismanaged and, you know, made Fitzpatrick and Tua upset like he did how he handled that, what else is going on? Yeah, I wonder. I, Brian Flores is, I think, a, a really good coach. I mean, so. we, we talk, we both like him a lot. We yeah. love like the, like the way they built that team. This is sort of the first crack in the armor here where you just go, like, okay, what's to happen with this? I mean, a corner is something you want to pay. I mean, to me, it's one of the four most important positions on the field. You know, he's worthy of the money. So I wonder, I, I got to guess the front office thing, no. And I just, but I do wonder how Brian Flores is going to manage that. I think you bring up a good point there because the one time we've seen some adversity in his uh, with dealing with players, it didn't really go well with the quarterbacks. It was, you know, too it was wishy very too wishy-washy, yeah. So he's got to put his foot down, but he also has to put his foot down and get the backing of the team. Who's going to know if maybe those two aren't getting along right now? Who, I mean, a lot of times the coach is going to say, hey, just pay the player. Yeah. So I wonder if there's a little problem there. Last thing, uh, as we uh, wrap up our discussion this week at Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisor Group. Bo, I was looking at, you know, what we have ahead. You know, the Hall of Fame game is uh, coming up here shortly. And, you know, besides the Cowboys and the Steelers, everybody plays just three preseason games um, before that 17-game schedule. Um, Format-wise, Bo, uh, we're not going to see starters – at all, uh, or if they are very limited in this preseason, huge window for competition to make these roster spots. These these preseason games uh, are, are going to be very, very limited of those stars that we pay to see. Yeah, I mean, every every team has those last few spots that are competition, or if someone just shows out and just absolutely have to keep them somehow, some way, we got to keep them, and maybe we'll figure it out salary cap-wise. The other big part of it is that lots of players will now get some more tape. They're going to get more play on tape that someone else can look at, whether that's at the start of the season and they sneak into someone else's 53-man roster or week 
two, week three, week four, when someone gets hurt. So I think it's helpful in that way. Um, at the same time, I, I've never been a fan of four preseason games, so mm-hmm. three is fine. You don't play many starters anyway. No one plays the fourth game. Um, I get it. You go out there, you play around. You can probably give it to them, too, honestly. Yeah. But the, biggest, the biggest thing is, is that these games are set up for um, players to get on tape. And that's what it's all really going to be all about. They're, going, they're not going to be fun to watch at all. If you're, if you're a casual fan, they're not going to be fun. If you're a geek, they're kind of fun. If you're a fantasy football nut like Bo and I are, um, the best thing that could have happened was this preseason schedule being reduced and less playing time for these guys. Like, Bo, we could actually have our draft next week if we wanted to, in theory, and not really have to hesitate about losing a player you drafted or two in preseason like you did before. So, I've for years, I was a commissioner of the league. I was a commissioner for like 15 years. And we were the last t- draft. We were the last league to draft that I was ever in. We always went up to, I mean, up till the, the Saturday before the last week. I mean, you have, you do it's like Labor Day weekend. We're drafting then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason being is that the first couple times you get someone hurt that last preseason game, it really stinks. Right. You lose your first or second round pick because they played that last preseason game. You're not going to see as much of that this year. Um, yeah, I, I didn't get to really pay much attention to fantasy football last year. I, I played in the league, but I didn't really do a whole lot. This year, I'm actually going to host the league, so it'll be fun. And you can tune into Coach Bo's podcasts and learn a little more about that soon. Uh, we're going to be introducing some characters that way. So we, we start out this segment talking Scientology. I got a great way to wrap this up on this. Note. Okay. So my favorite story of somebody drafting – a player that didn't play that season by doing their draft too early in the preseason. OJ Simpson, he uh, he drafted Andrew Locke in that very night yes. he retired. Yes, I remember that. Remember he got out of jail. I remember that. Yeah, because remember he got on Twitter was like, no, you gotta go back. <laughs> hey, what are you gonna do if the juice says you gotta go play? You gotta go play, don't you? You know. Really, Andrew, you got to let the juice down like that? You got to let the juice down? Come on, now. He's OJ. Come on, now. <laughs> Forget about the Colts fans. It's about OJ. Yeah. It's about OJ. Yeah. I don't care how bad you, you don't care how bad your neck is. Just go, go, go help them take care of OJ. Um, yeah, that's a good one. I'm trying to think of one. I, well, I want to say it was the, I mean, like back in like the early 2000s, I'm sure I was in a couple of them where like a, a run, it's always a running back. Those are running back to get hurt like a week before the season. I know a lot of people got screwed with uh, a couple of years when Michael Vick got hurt in the preseason. Remember that? I, did Sean Alexander have a year where he got hurt, where he was going to be a real high pick? Maybe something like that. Maybe. That Maybe. Yeah. Um, or or uh, that year Brady was coming off the MVP, got hurt week one against the Chiefs. Yes. Yep. And they played Matt Castle the rest of the season. Yeah. Yeah, I consider do fantasy football stories for a long time. I played in some unique leagues, and uh, yeah, we'll see. I go, I go as far back as old school, where you had to call your you had to call your team in to the commissioner the morning of the games. Like, all right, this week we're going to start. Yeah, so that's incredible. Well, we got to run. 
O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com, OAGKS.com is the uh, website. Bo, appreciate it. right, Tyler. God damn it. OAGKS.com. <laughs> O'ConnorAdvisoryGroup.com. Okay. Yeah. That better? Give us a shout. We want to do, we want to help you out. We'll be your partner. <laughs> we want to I'm be your little, partner. I'm a little slap happy this week. So. Yeah. We want to be your partner, and we want to kick your ass in fantasy football. Yeah. There you have it. O'Connor Advisory Group. Thanks, Bo. Appreciate it. Thank you, Tyler. Have a good night. A few more things before we wrap up here on the Jones Report this week. I do want to look back on the NBA draft. And Kate Cunningham gets picked number one by the Detroit Pistons. No surprise there. I believe they're calling him Motorcade out there. And I guess the city of Detroit kind of just runs through Oklahoma State at this point between Barry Sanders and now Cade Cunningham uh, with the Pistons and such. Uh, pretty cool to uh, see, but certainly excited for Cade. I think Cade's going to be a superstar in this league. I like him just as much, if not more so, than I did when Zion came out uh, a year or two ago with the, uh, the Pelicans. Uh, I'm very happy for Cade that he went number one. Hate that he's having to go to Detroit, though, and, and play with that franchise that's been such a mess the last few years. But uh, they, they did find themselves a, a quite a quite star there with a Kid Cunningham. Jalen Green goes to the Rockets. Evan Mobley, three to the Cavs. But the big surprise when the draft really started was kind of pick number four. When the Raptors went with Scotty Barnes, when everybody thought they'd go with Jalen Suggs with that pick at four. Barnes out of Florida State. He didn't even start at Florida State. And now we're supposed to believe that he's can he's going to be, you know, a, a starter and a star player in the NBA because, damn, that sure makes sense to draft a, a backup in college and think that he can, you know, play in the NBA. But nonetheless, that's what the Raptors did. And, uh, and then Suggs goes five to the Magic. I thought going into this draft, Tom, that Cunningham, Green, Mobley, and Suggs in most drafts, would be number one picks. This was a very deep draft to have those four. I liked all of them a whole lot better than I did Scotty Barnes. Um, but uh, nonetheless, uh, Suggs going to the Magic, they'll certainly use him. The, the Magic have a lot of holes right now, and they potentially, I think, just got to steal uh, a number one pick type talent. Didn't even have to trade up for him, got him at five. Thunder go with Josh Giddy, uh, which – to me, I was so disappointed in this pick. You weren't you weren't giddy about that. Stop, stop that. I, I, I ought to cut your mic for for even saying those words. Uh, <laughs> no, I was not giddy about this pick one bit. And you had Kaminga up there. I would have liked them to trade up to have gotten, you know, Cade, Jalen, Mobley, or Suggs. Obviously, they tried for Cade. Was the rumor that was out there had a good offer, but just wasn't good enough. Um, I would have liked to see them got, get one of those four players. You have all those assets trade up. The Thunder don't do that. Instead, get Giddy and Kaminga falls to the Warriors. Um, you know, to me, that's looking at this draft. Um, those were kind of the things that stood out to me of those first few picks were, uh, you know, uh, the the big one being that Scotty Barnes at four kind of changed – how things went for the next few picks uh, for, for how that 
uh, stabilized and and for the Thunder to end up with Giddy of all people to not trade up and then not even get Kaminga at that spot. I, I was pretty disappointed, Tom. I thought they were going to go with Kaminga for sure. Um, ESPN's little BS tracker said Giddy was the best fit, but it's like, well, do you really want to let Kaminga go to the Warriors? Like, come on, like, don't. Right. Don't do it. Giddy only yeah. averaged 11 points a game in Australia, and we're supposed to believe that that translates to the NBA. I know Sam Presti is really good when it comes to scouting and drafting, but I don't know what he's seeing in this pick. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know necessarily either. There's a lot of different directions they could have gone, and I don't think Giddy was maybe the best one, but maybe that's why me and you aren't, you know, NBA scouts or on the draft board team, but uh, you know, we'll see how it plays out. Even here's the thing, Jones. Even if they don't hit on Giddy, right? Just came out. Derek Favors gets traded to Oklahoma City, and they pick up another first round in the process. And they only had to give up, you know, a a second round pick. Yeah, they take on Favors' contract, but uh, you know what? This is the first one of these. I mean, granted, it was because of their you know, win-loss record that they were at number six in the draft. But this is the first – essentially the first one of this I rebuild, you know. This is the the first domino, and, and there's a there's a ton of dominoes left to go. Right. Uh, looking at the uh, other picks, let's continue to uh, go down the uh, line here. Uh, after you get past Kaminga with the Warriors, Franz Wagner of Michigan ends up with the Magic. Davion Mitchell Butler of uh, Baylor, the national champions, really good two-way guard. Uh, you know, people are comparing him to Donovan Mitchell, which is a fascinating comparison. He ends up with the Kings. Uh, Zaire Williams ends up with the Pelicans. Uh, that trade actually went to the Grizzlies, so he'll be headed to Memphis. Bo Knight who some folks had projected going top five or at least top six falls all the way to 11. And then uh, the Spurs draft uh, Joshua uh, Primo uh, with that 12th pick. Looking at that next group, Tom, the, the pick I think I, I really like is, uh, is Davion Mitchell there with the Kings. The Kings need everything they can get. Um, they've been such a disaster and they have – they may have found a diamond in the rut in uh, Davion Mitchell there at nine with uh, what he can bring to the table. If they are getting even Donovan Mitchell light, that will go a long way for them as a franchise. I think so too. And I think he could have went higher, to be honest. Um, I, I, I was pretty high in him. Obviously national champion uh, played, I mean, played out of his mind. I mean, I, I thought he could have been higher, but you know, the Kings get, get their guy and, Obviously, it didn't work out the Buddy Hill trade for them um, to get Kuzma and, and Bagley. Or not, I guess they were going to get Kuzma and, and send Hill and Bagley. But, um, you know, that doesn't work out. So, they need all the help they can get. I, I think the Kings have some potential. You know, we'll see if De'Aaron Fox stays around. Um, but, you know, I, I think the Kings could have something. I mean, it's it's tough being the shittiest team in California. <laughs> yeah yeah I, I think you're right about that uh let's go through the uh, next group of uh, picks here the Pacers end up with uh Chris Durant Warriors get Moses Moody out of Arkansas uh at that 14 spot Wizards 
end up with Corey Kispert out of Gonzaga. And I like Kispert a lot. Uh, this guy is uh, special. I mean, both offensively and defensively. And, you know, he is a little bit older. I think his age may have uh, dropped him a bit compared to some of these younger guys. But Kispert's got incredible size and athleticism. I like what he brings to the table. The Wizards, another team that needs everything they can get. You know, they just trade Russell Westbrook. We'll talk about that in just a second. Um, Bradley Beal likely gone as well. They're kind of restarting. That's a good point A to begin with, uh, with uh, Corey Kispert, I think, at that spot at a 15. Thunder end up trading the uh, 16th pick to the Rockets. Uh, uh, Sengun and uh, 17, Trey Murphy ends up uh, going to the Pelicans. That uh, pick made by the Grizzlies, but gets traded there. Thunder do end up using the 18th pick on Trey Mann, uh, and then the the 19th pick, uh, the Knicks draft Kai Jones, and he gets traded to the Hornets. Looking at the next group, uh, I mentioned there, Tom, I like the Kispert pick. That's kind of what stands out to me. What stands out to you, that next group? Wanted him first, and, you know, the first go, Josh Primo from Alabama, which was a surprise pick, I think, for everybody. Right. Yeah, it, it was a bit of a surprise. Yeah, it was a bit of a surprise pick. And I, I would also say that you wonder with Pop being overseas coaching the Olympic team, how much was he really involved in this pick? And if uh, the Spurs were able to still do their, their proper draft process here, usually the draft is held, Tom, before an Olympics. And so maybe the Spurs are at a bit of a disadvantage with this draft with not having Pop around. I mean, you, you. I mean, we'll see. They always say there's a, a terms called pop in the front office. It's P A T F O, and everyone always says trust P A T F O. And I'm like, I don't know how much longer I can do it. But that being said, they got Derek White at like 29th. They got Dejounte Murray at like 28th. Um, Lonnie Walker has he's not been terrible, um, and they got him higher up. Um, you know, they, they got Devin Fassell last year at 11, and he's not been terrible. He hasn't been great, but he hasn't been terrible. Uh, I mean, I always look back to them trading George Hill, and I was outraged at the time. Uh, and they end up with Kawhi Leonard uh, in a trade with the Pacers. That was a pick 14, and I was like, who the absolute shit is Kawhi Leonard from San Diego State? And now look. So, you know, I don't know. Uh, a lot of people are saying that he was a lotto pick before he was a lotto pick uh, in, a, in terms of if he would have stayed at Alabama, he would have been a lotto pick the next year. Uh, I, you know, I don't know a whole lot about this kid, to be honest. I watched some highlights. I didn't get I didn't really watch a whole lot of Alabama. They were a good team this year, um, but we'll see. There, there's a lot of Jones. I thought it was funny. His last name's Primo, which in, which in Spanish means cousin. Uh, and some people are like, are they just trying to boost the Spanish jersey sales here in, in San Antonio? And they were like, get that kid an HEB sponsorship immediately because I guess HEB uh, – have you been in HEB, Jones? Yeah, I love HEB. They're great. They have this thing, I guess, and it's like a promotion-type deal or it's on one of the end caps, and they got HEBs. They're called HEB's Primo Picks. Okay. And so Josh Primo, they're like, they were like, this had to be 
an HUB insider deal to get a commercial going. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. 20, the uh, Hawks end up with Jalen Johnson out of Duke. And he was a guy that was talking about it being a top 10 pick uh, out of when he was uh, coming out of high school. But with not playing very many games, with uh, dropping out during the middle of the year, opting out, uh, you know, claiming it was due to COVID and such. But um, to do it in the middle of the season was so bizarre. You heard Jay Billis in the telecast say that, he never really heard a good reason for why Jalen Johnson left. And so uh, that's something for the Hawks to think about. But nonetheless, a talented player there. Keon Johnson goes to the, goes, uh, to the, the Clippers after a trade from the Knicks. While the Lakers uh, end up with Isaiah Jackson, uh, you know, the, the Lakers draft the pick, but it ends up with the Pacers via the Wizards. Uh, Usman uh, Garaba ends up with the Rockets. Rockets pick again, get Josh Christopher. 25, Quentin Grimes uh, ends up with the Knicks. Pick made by the Clippers. Um, the uh, former Kansas player ended up with a really uh, good last couple of years at, uh, at Houston under Kelvin Sampson. And to me, that's just a great story for Quentin Grimes. Here was a guy that, you know, when he was coming out of high school, people talked about, hey, he's going to be a lottery talent. He'll be a one-and-done in Kansas. And just had a roller coaster freshman year. It just wasn't a good fit him and Bill Self and trying to play alongside Devon Dodson. It just didn't work. And, uh, you know, he, he went through some frustrating times. And he uh, ended up going home to Houston where he was from. And things weren't great there initially either. You know, he had to come off the bench, even though he was arguably the most talented player on that Houston team. But he had to really work for it. Kelvin Sampson made him earn everything there. And it ended up uh, working out pretty well because he was – in the Final Four and was Houston's best player this past year. And then as a first-round draft pick, quite the turnaround story for Quentin Grimes. Now he adds to the Knicks, a very young team that's got some talent led by Julius Randle. I think Quentin Grimes is going to have a good NBA career and going to be a big part of the Knicks' success for the next several years. The Nuggets go with Nashawn uh, Highland, Ned Scrab, uh, Cameron Thomas, 76ers get Jaden Springer, and the Suns uh, trade their pick to the Nets. Uh, Dayron Sharp, Jazz trade uh, uh, Sinani uh, Aldama uh, to the Grizzlies. Uh, of those last picks, Quentin Grimes, to me, Tom, that's one I like. What did you like of that last group there? Uh, you know, I thought Keon Johnson would go high, was going to go higher. Um, a lot of people had him in mid – mid-teens um so i i was i liked keon uh i i thought the spurs would i mean i'm just coming from a fan perspective too of who i liked and who i thought would be a, a fit or who i would root for um to get picked by my team i mean the same way people do with the thunder and kaminga which should have happened but uh you know history's already been written there so i liked keon johnson uh i think uh, i would you say – I'm pretty sure he went to the Clippers. Is that what you said? Yes. Pick was made yeah. by the Knicks but traded to the Clippers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think he'll do well uh, for the Clippers. I, I think he's going to be uh, a, a hidden talent or, or one that should have went higher. Uh, winner of the night was Detroit, I felt, with getting Cade and the superstar talent that he's going to be uh, in this league. But then even their other picks. I mean, you go to the second round. Detroit ends up with Isaiah Livers. 
Uh, you know, they they also end up with Luca Garza, who was the national player of the year in college basketball. And you got him in the late second round. And you know, I think Garza, you know, he'll be a role player, but he'll, he'll they'll find a way to use him and such and be effective. I mean, Detroit, to me, was the big winner of the night. I hate saying this. I think the loser was Oklahoma City because you didn't get the star player that you had a chance for. You didn't get aggressive and make a move. And, I mean, you trade away one pick, uh, you know, to get a, a future first-round pick to Houston there. And all you did last night was delayed the rebuilding process. You've dragged this on another year. Um, it's going to take another year of the Thunder continuing to rebuild. And, and uh, you know, it's going to be a long few years. We already knew that. But I felt like – the Thunder made things longer on themselves and didn't make the progress that you would have liked to see them make to try to build this franchise. So those are my winners and losers from last night. Tom, who was your winners and losers from the draft last night? Oh, I think it's I think it's got to be a winner. I agree with Detroit. Uh, I mean, Cade overall, you know, best overall player. Um, you know, you, you mentioned Suggs and Mobley and, and Green. Uh, they're all all-star talents, I think, in the future as well. But uh, I mean, you, it, you know, it's it's already been said and done that Oklahoma City tried. They didn't try to trade up to two, three, or four. Uh, they tried to trade up to one uh, for Cade, and probably for a freaking good reason. Uh, you know, sure they could have tried for two or three or four, and, and I, I think a lot of people are trying to get Evan Mobley, um, and and the Cavs were not going to budge on that, from what I saw. Um, but you know, I think it's gotta be Detroit's gotta be the winner. Um, I can see your point on Oklahoma city being the loser and the end, end all be all, like I said earlier, they've got so many dominoes to fall. They have so many chances and they just added Derek favors and a pick from Utah to give them a little bit of flexibility. So they're still adding picks. Um, you know, if the first one doesn't work out with Giddy, then, you know, they've got a hundred million other ones that it seems like, uh, seems like they've got more picks than, uh, I was trying to make a metaphor, but I couldn't think of one. More picks than uh, KU has Big Twelve basketball championships. Um, that, that's a lame one. I can't. I'm not. I'm not witty this morning. Uh, I haven't had a Red Bull or a coffee yet. Um, that being said, the loser. Maybe I mean from a fan perspective, I think it's the Spurs, but I'm just hard on my team. I don't. I don't know as far as a loser goes. Um, uh, maybe, you know, I guess from a critical standpoint, call me stupid. Maybe I'm going to say the Lakers because they traded for Russell Westbrook and that's never going to work. And I, I'm assuming that's what the transition was next. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk about that. So uh, the Lakers ending up with Russell Westbrook giving up, you know, Kuzma, Montrez Harrell and, uh, and, and a pick and such and, ending up with a Russell Westbrook there in uh, Los Angeles. And, and the way I look at this, Tom, is that's a good team for 2K. If you're looking for a team to play with on, uh, on that Xbox or PlayStation, the Lakers are going to be fun. They're going to be extremely athletic, and you're going to have a lot of dunks. And, and uh, I mean, it'll be, it'll be quite the show. But Russ, LeBron, and AD, that's a lot of mouths to feed. And – you know, Russ being a ball first point guard, granted, I, I love Russ, but I, I don't see this fitting well. I, I think that the best case scenario, what you do to try to make this work, 
if uh, if you're the Lakers and you're Frank Vogel. I think you 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 put LeBron at the point and play Russell Westbrook at shooting guard and uh, go from there. We know LeBron's a great distributor and that uh, he makes his teammates better and and uh, how he is you know handling the basketball. I think that's what you do. You don't let the offense run through Russell Westbrook. I think that would be a mistake. I think you let the offense still run through LeBron. That's their their best hope. What what say you, Tom? Yeah, I mean that's the only way I can think of doing it. Or you know that you could say the hell with it. Let them let them play. You know, let them just have fun and see what happens. Maybe for the first couple of games. I don't know. Uh, you know, I like Russell Westbrook. I've been very critical of Russell Westbrook, and some of it's been fair. Some of it's probably been unfair. Um, I mean, he got the nickname West Brick for a reason. He's not going to be able to jack shots. Uh, you know, that LeBron obviously runs a tight ship uh, in terms of who, who stays, who goes, who plays, who doesn't. Uh, we saw that, obviously, with Kuzma. Uh, he, was, he was Ben Simmons before Ben Simmons was Ben Simmons. He got – Kuzma got shut down his backside by everybody. Uh, and then it, he got the pressure a little bit taken off of him because Ben Simmons pulled a Kyle Kuzma. Um, and I'm surprised, Jones. I am shocked that this is a side tangent. I'm surprised Ben Simmons didn't get traded. I think Philly wanted too much. But that being said, Russell Westbrook, could it work? Maybe. Would, do I think it's going to work? No. Yeah. I think we're in the same boat on that. I, I, I'll be rooting on Russ. I hate. It will be fun to watch. I hate to see him with the Lakers, and especially too, considering that, you know, he could have done this a long time ago, and he he made it known that you know he wanted to be in Oklahoma City, that he didn't need the Lakers and such, and you know that opportunity presented itself a long time ago. The Lakers wanted him badly, and he told them no time and time again. Washington was blowing up. The Lakers came in. You know now he's going home to LA. Um, you know, I'll be I'll be rooting for Russ, but I won't be rooting for the Lakers. And, you know, we, we feel like that eventually we'll get this Nets-Lakers final. I just feel so pain, so much pain if we if that day comes. Not anything against Russ again, but please don't make me sit through a finals of KD and James Harden versus Russell Westbrook on the other side. Like that, that would be too much for me emotionally. I, I can't do that, Tom. Please no. I mean, and yeah, right. And then, yeah. The, the I mean, like and, last and night, Durant I already wanted to drink bleach during the draft. Don't make me sit through that of an NBA finals, too. Right. And, and not to mention, we just had so much fun with the finals, and it wasn't either of those teams. And so I hope it's never those teams. Uh, I hope the Nets are a failed experiment. I really do. Um, you know, even more so than the Lakers. The Lakers already won their championship. Uh, I already got pissed off enough when people started calling Anthony Davis even a, even half the player Tim Duncan is and was. And I'm I'm through with Anthony Davis, uh, not because of him as a person, just but because of all the stupid people, and it's because the Lakers, right? Uh, I don't hate LeBron as much as I did anymore. I think he's got probably five years left uh and i don't think you know he's gonna keep it up but uh at this point the way the lakers are wheeling and dealing and trying to get all these people you know you you get russell westbrook who's not a terrible defender 
Uh, obviously, he's a, a triple double machine and can and can distribute, can score, uh, you know, can rebound. He can he can do a lot. Um, I don't think it's going to help you. You get rid of some of your your defenders and your perimeter uh, to go get Russell Westbrook, who you know he's not as good as he once was. He's still really good, uh, but not as explosive. I mean, he's, he shows flashes of, but he's he's not Russell Westbrook from Oklahoma city. Um, so I don't know how this experiment's going to work. Um, for me, I think, yeah, this would not happen on any other team, but the Lakers. I'm, I'm not shocked that it's the Lakers and this is the, this is the squad. Yeah. Uh, I'm with you. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, it's going to be an interesting year and we already know too, just when it comes to ego wise with LeBron James and Russell Westbrook, Something's going to blow up. There's going to be a night when all hell breaks loose, and I want every camera angle on these two when they do, you know, uh, have that moment because uh, Russ won't back down. We know that. He won't back down to anybody, including LeBron James. I mean, when, when not if, but when the blow up happens, that's going to be something to watch. Oh, you know it will be. I mean, they're going to, it's, they're going to get into it. Um, and, and it's not going to, I don't think it's going to ruin the team or the, you know, the relationship, but that's just what happens to colliding personalities. It's not a good or bad thing necessarily, but it's, it's going to happen. Oh man. All right. Before we get out of here today, time for our Tom Fullery story of the week. Tom, where are we going to head to this time? Jones, we are heading to, uh, the, uh, land of, um, the land of wealth here. Um, and, this is there's two things that I would love to be making money doing. Um, well, maybe I actually just one. One being a doctor, I don't know if I would like to be making money as a prostitute, to be honest. But if it was this kind of money, I would think about it. Uh, Jones, <laughs> what an opening! Right? I would. Right? I would think about it. Uh, I think anybody would. Barstoolsports.com article. Uh, article title reads: Does this look like the face of a woman? whose husband is divorcing her for making too much money as a prostitute. Jones, she was a a Miss USA contestant, right? What? I mean, you know, she's got to be making, if she's a prostitute, I mean, I mean, what? You know, you can command that price sky high. So I was USA, Miss USA contestant. Okay, well, there you go. There's your credential. Uh, Tweet reads from Stephen Brown. This is what it was based off of. Dr. Han Joe Kim and Regina Turner resolved their divorce ahead of a public hearing scheduled for 10 a.m. that would likely have revealed more details in this wild case. Um, I think the article came originally from NY Daily News. NYC surgeon resolves divorce from Miss USA contestant. He said led a double life as a prostitute. The divorce papers filed in Manhattan Supreme Court reportedly alleged that Turner earned nearly $700,000 in cash from her clients. Millionaire surgeon, Dr. Kim. Here's the thing, Jones. The doctor is already a millionaire. And then she just goes off and says, well, I want to make my own money too. Not in the way of uh, being a doctor. Uh, I mean, you know, you can call yourself a doctor like Dr. Thunder Jones or, you know, (laughs) Dr. Whoever. uh, Right. 
you could do anything. You know, you can call yourself anything. You can make money. There's a lot of ways to make money. There's good ways. There are bad ways. Uh, but at the end of the day, the dollar spends the same. And this is what this lady thought. Millionaire surgeon Dr. Kim claimed he first became aware of his wife's double life in December 2020 when he came across an explicit iMessage intended for Turner, which detailed a sexual encounter between her and another man, the court papers reportedly state. Papers go on to claim that Turner, who won the Miss Connecticut title in 2011, had clients including a New Jersey-based real estate executive and an award-winning lighting designer, New York Daily News reported. Before it, and then it goes back to the article, and this is your typical, typical barstool-style writing, and that's why I love it so much. Before we start the blog here, here's a video of Regina Turner and Maxim because her Instagram is private. I have not watched the Maxim video, uh, to be honest. I don't think I'll probably watch it. Just nothing's going to show me what I've already seen. Um, article continues. There's an old Louis C.K. bit from around 2011, ironically enough, where he talks about hot girls at bars and clubs and their whole personality and job is guys want to fuck me. Well, Miss Connecticut actually turned that into a thriving business. Uh, hats off. And not in the traditional way where she just marries the rich guy. She did that too, Jones, but that wasn't enough. I guess hookers dream of the pretty woman plot every single day. A wealthy man falls in love with them and sweeps them off their feet and off the street. Not Regina. No, no, no. She executed being hot, getting the spinal surgeon, and living a lavish lifestyle. Her job was officially to have no job. You always hear this about great entrepreneurs, though. If Mark Cuban sells a business and cashes in, he's not going to stop working, and neither is Regina. While her husband is bent, this is the best part of this whole article. Uh, and about lost my shit at work the other day reading this. While her husband has bent over a table straightening spines, she's bent over a table straightening dicks. Both helping people, both making money. Joan <laughs> sounds like a <laughs> sounds like a power couple to me. Her husband just couldn't handle it. Uh, in the year 2021, no less. Sad to see. Jones, you know, he makes all this money and she doesn't have to have a job. I get it. Even if even if I married someone that made a ridiculous amount of money, I don't like to be, I like to make my own money so no one can say how I can spend it. Uh, that's why I had a job as soon as I, my first job was like doing, working for Examiner Enterprise, selling paper subscriptions when I was like 12 or 13. And I had like 200 bucks in my, in my pocket every week and was balling at the, in the lunchroom. Uh, I've always been one to been like, I'm going to make my own money. That's why I have a side hustle right now and a 40 hour week job. Cause I like to just buy whatever I want, whenever I want in, in, in general terms, I'm not balling by any means, but I'm not, I'm doing well. You're not struggling. Uh, right. Right. So maybe Regina's the same way, you know, I DJ, she has sex. Uh, you know, she makes a lot more money having sex than I make DJing, and I can't blame her for that. Um, you know, I wonder if she's getting a cut from the divorce, or I wonder if she, you know, I wonder if she will continue being a prostitute. I mean, it's the oldest profession in the world. I mean, it's it's uh, it's recession proof, okay? You know, so is healthcare and being a surgeon. Uh, everyone's always gonna have back problems. Um, so, and I, you know, it, it's, and her profession fuels the world. There will always be a great demand for, uh, for pleasure, I guess is maybe the, the, the safest way to go about saying that, um, $700,000 Jones, would you be 
a male escort for $700,000 a year. I don't see why not. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, some clients you might be, uh, let's, let's put a spin on this. Some clients you may be giddy uh, to service. And oh, no, some, no. Uh, some other clients you might be like, I hate my job, but I got to do it. You know, you could get you could get old Grandma Betty at 75 looking for one last ride. Uh, but if she's paying you 510K to, to get her done, uh, then you know what? I'm not above it. Have you I ever can, seen the movie? I can be bought. Have you ever seen the movie Yes Man with Jim Carrey? Yes. <laughs> it would be like when he can't say no to that old lady. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Uh, I mean... You know, everybody has their price point, and I can tell you, mine is below a, a quick five five grand. If that, I, I I don't know how much she charges. I'm very interested to to know, not Sorry. to be able to purchase. So, are you putting that out there? Are you business. letting Are you letting the uh, the women at home know this? Is that why you said that? I can be bought for five grand for sure. Oh gosh, a hundred percent. I mean, that's my asking price, and. Anywhere, anytime, any day, five grand, you got me. I'll, I, I'll, you know, I don't know if that's good or not. Someone's, someone's going to listen to this and report me to the government. So I'm going to get a knock at my door and be like, sir, uh, we need to, you know, check your phone and, you know, see if you've been in a prostitute ring. I'd, I'd be the last person to do that. Listen, uh, not, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, any smoke show. I'm not ugly, but I'm not any smoke show by any means. So I don't think I'm just, pulling anybody for 5k uh not anytime soon but yeah i mean if she can make that kind of money more power to her i mean we've had we've had uh who i'm trying to think what she did uh oh it was the mom that was doing only fans and the school found out about it but she was making bank she was a teacher yeah yeah and she was making bank like way more money than the teacher makes like you know, I'm more power to you. Yeah, your kids are going to find out. It doesn't sound like Miss Connecticut here has any kids. Uh, so more power to her. You know, if, if the spinal surgeon wasn't doing it for you enough, uh, making over however much many million a year, hey, go out and make your own money. Uh, work your own schedule. I don't know what hours that, that you know, that runs, but uh, more power to you. I'm, you know, I'm a fan. Anybody who makes the money, uh whether that be as long as it's not stealing uh more power to you you get that bread any way you can secure the bag right whether that's straight whether that's straightening spine or straightening dick i don't care how you got to do it literally and figuratively yeah get that bag <laughs> my goodness wow what a turn that, i will i will tell you what though folks listening that was a tyler jones pick for Tom Fuller the week, but he sent it to me, and I had such a laugh at work uh, that I had to shut the office door. Um, <laughs> Did so, anybody notice, like, what's Tom laughing about? No, no, I hope not. I mean, I wouldn't get to tell him. Hey, what are you laughing about in there? Well, I'm just laughing about this article talking about straightening dicks. <laughs> yeah, that would <laughs> on that the company Wi-Fi. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is. It very much is. Um, now they're going to search through your web history. Like, what the hell is this? Right. Well, that's on the uh, that's on the phone, and I always run through incognito mode. So, of course, you do. I'm trying to hide your horn from everybody. Yeah. Well, not yeah. You know, that's that's it. You got me. Um, but 
you know, you always got to be safe. Who knows who's who's going to track you? Um, and it might not, you know, it might not be even work. It might be, uh, you know, I would talk about that too uh, as a side tangent. Um, we're going to see, we're going to get an Instagram ad, Jones, here pretty quickly. And it's going to be to buy tickets to Miss America. That's what it's going to be. It's going to be Miss America or it's going to be about uh, maybe chiropractor straightening spines uh you know we're gonna we're gonna get an ad and i I, it will be even times when my phone's off or not off but you know not open uh that i get random ads for things i i talk about um that i've never searched for before so if you see a miss america ad do what that you've talked about on the show right or just just in general conversation every day so you look out if you get a chiropractor ad or you get a Miss America ad or something something similar to this or you know I don't think a a, a prostitution page would pull up uh, but maybe you'll see an OnlyFans uh, ad pop up um, if you do you got to let me know because I they're listening for sure even if you're browsing incognito uh, you know maybe that's Maybe that's how they found out. Maybe that's how the surgeon found out, saw the eye message, and started getting random ads for a Miss America prostitute. I don't even know what to say. I don't either anymore. What a way to end today's show. We will leave it right there and get out of here. Big thanks to Brian Haney for stopping by and joining us, the voice of the Jayhawks. For more on the Rock Chalk Roundball Classic, how you can get involved and uh, help out with that. Check out rockchalkroundballclassic.com for more information. Big thanks to Coach Bo for stopping by as well. Make sure to subscribe to the show. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. Social media, facebook.com forward slash Todd Jones Live, Todd Jones Media Group. Uh, Twitter at Todd Jones Live, at uh, Thomas underscore Bridges, at TJ Media Group. Instagram, Todd Jones Live, Instant Thomas Jones underscore Report. You can find us there. And we'll be right back here with you all next week. For Thomas Bridges and our entire crew, I'm Tyler Jones. Thanks so long. This has been another edition of the Jones Report. We'll see you next week.